Brian Minter, I really appreciate you being willing to take the time on this beautiful morning. Um, I'd first like to just start by thanking you because I've been listening to a lot of the work you've done, uh, your talk with Tim McAlpine, and it's very moving to know that we have people like you in our community because for someone like myself, uh, I started from very little, um, my mom's struggled a lot, and Minter Gardens has just always been a part of the community, and we've come here since I was a little kid, and Looking back on it, it's such a huge part of the community, and it was part of my development, uh, my close friend Jacob's development, and getting to understand other people's passion more has been something that I've, I've worked hard to do, because I think people like yourself set such a strong example for others to find their passion and move forward. So I'm hoping you can do a brief introduction, but I just wanted to start off by thanking you for taking the time and for everything you've done for our community. Well, Aaron, uh, thank you for the opportunity um, to uh, talk about uh, our community and, and um, all the, the wonderful folks that make up this community and uh, someone who's taking the time to, to um, you know, pick up bits and pieces of it. And uh, it helps uh, people who would listen to this, I think, capture a sense of, of what type of community we live in. And everything we do is about community. It really is and uh, inclusive of, of absolutely everybody. So um, that, that's, uh, that's a very important thing to, to me it really is so so uh, not that I'm special our community special and I think we all contribute to that in, in different ways but anyway to, to answer your question um, I, I think uh, first of all very very lucky to to be born in this part of the world you look at the uh, the world today uh, and the crisis uh, virtually everywhere uh, the climate crisis and and uh, that's affecting us all and, and will as we go for children and grandchildren and, and so on and um, you know if you had to pick a part of the world to you know be born in uh, I think we're, we're both very very lucky in that regard the uh, I think the the essence of um, uh, always always a deep appreciation I remember um, being very very young and uh, um, it wasn't about particular people in the community it was the community itself. I remember growing up, um, you know, in the um, early 50s, uh, we uh, had the, the floods that uh, came into Chilliwack and, you know, in 49 and so on, and then 51 again. And um, uh, what really captured me was this sense of everybody helping each other. Aaron, believe it or not, back in those days, nobody locked their doors. Uh, the community was, uh, we always helped each other no matter what. Um, if somebody was out of something, going next door to, to uh, ask for things and, and uh, you know, they always gave more than they asked. Neighbors who continually um, looked after you and made sure we're okay in, in different areas. That was, that was the, the community we grew up in. Uh, it, it's a different time now, you know, unfortunately, uh, but, but that's the, the essence of uh, what uh, I remember. Uh, we had a great, um, Chilliwack's always been, you know, kind of that, that different community. It's away from the big city uh, and, uh, you know, a little bit isolated to still maintain the, the essence of, of, a, of a smaller town. And believe it or not, now we're uh, the seventh largest community in British Columbia, you know, so things change. Uh, but, um, you know, in going to uh, uh, school uh, and um, early grades, uh, it was, um, you know, it was very much a community in school as well. Uh, we had um, uh, teachers, uh, Central School had their history uh, a few years ago and I was asked to speak at it and, and how much that, uh, that education in, in grade school made a difference to me. Um, I lost my mother when I was 12 and to um, have that school, uh, you know, it's a support 
for for uh, for me was was absolutely great. And uh, you know the the thing is um, uh, in going into uh, you know all through high school uh, that was my um, happy place. Um, we um, uh, had a, a family business, uh, and uh, my father worked extremely hard. Uh, my mother was a nurse, by the way. She was a caregiver, so, you know, kind of grew up with that. And um, to to be successful in those early days was tough. Uh, he was in the, he developed a floral business uh, where he actually, on 2nd Avenue in Chilliwack, had greenhouses at the, those days to be able to grow product to sell in flower shop. But he used to um, to give me a sense uh, to get products for, um, you know, special events in people's lives, weddings or funerals or, or special events. Uh, he would uh, go to drive to Vancouver, which is two and a half hours back in those days to wow. Vancouver. He would uh, stay overnight, sleep in his small van and um, get up in the morning. And, um, you know, when it opened at six o'clock, uh, get when he needed and drive back to Chilliwack. And, and uh, you know, it was just very, very, I grew up in that environment of uh, you did everything you, you could uh, to help people and, and um, you know, be successful at the same time. Uh, and it was tough. And uh, my father also started uh, the first uh, early greenhouses in Chilliwack. And we used to grow um, carnations, which was kind of a first, and roses and chrysanthemums. And um, uh, gosh, that was a, a lot of very hard work back in those days. Um, after school, you'd be putting bands on carnations or disbudding roses or, you know, uh, growing mums and taking soil out of beds by wheelbarrow in a small greenhouse and putting new soil in and sterilizing it. And, you know, that that's the, um, and, and it was, uh, very difficult. Growing up in the uh, floral industry, it was nice because you became a part of people's occasions, um, from the birth of uh, children to, you know, special occasions like graduation or birthdays uh, and uh, anniversaries for people. And um, it was just part of the, uh, the the whole history of, um, of what your community was. And we were so lucky, I think, to, to be a part of that. And then in um, from that growing up, and I always worked after school. That was my, <laughs> uh, which we, we just had to do. That was what, what families did. And uh, I, I think when in high school, it was, um, you know, kind of the first time uh, you get to the age where you start thinking a little bit differently. Um, had amazing instructors uh, back at that time. My, my favorite was uh, my English teacher, Mr. Midzing, who was, uh, I think, far ahead of his, his time in terms of his uh, international thinking. Uh, he helped me develop a, a real passion for English. And uh, English was, uh, you know, uh, to me, very, very important, uh, you know, in terms of the writing of, and, uh, and the poetry and so on, the communication, the art of communication uh, for so many people. And uh, so um, anyway, you no, know, high school was, was great. Uh, um, I was very fortunate to win the, um, uh, the highest award in the, in the school. And uh, it, it was it was really about um, uh, being of, of service uh, of uh, sports and uh, of um, you know, uh, scholarship in terms of, uh, you know, trying to be everything. And that, that was uh, just a, quite an honor for me. And it was also valedictorian uh, wow. of our grade. And that was uh, that, you know, my peer peers would, would say, um, um, you know, we think you're okay, you know, to be one of them. So th that was those kind of the, the, um, the essence of growing up. Very hard work, um, community business that was very much a part of the community. And, um, you know, in high school. And uh, I stayed back in those days. We had grade 13. It was um, a tough go to get to university because I had connections back here. 
uh, you know, to um, you know uh, go back and, and forth um, uh, was was a whole thing because I did when we're in university. Um, um, Faye and I were married at that time. Uh, we would often drive uh, back at night after class at in UBC and then help with a you know in a special event that was very large back in a flower shop and drive back for class the next morning. <laughs> sort of you know uh, what we did and, and uh, who we were. Uh, so um, yeah, that was a great experience. Um, high school, I also met Faye. We were high school sweethearts, and uh, um, she was a great basketball fan, and she kept score and, at the games and, and so on as well. So we, we kind of met there and, and uh, just had a wonderful relationship that, that carried on into university. And um, so, um, yeah, we, we uh, were married and um, uh, uh, quite young, uh, yeah. both of us. And uh, so, you know, off we went to Vancouver and, right. and uh, to university life, and we'd come back in the summer, summertime to work in the, in the family business and, and, yeah. and so on as well. So it was it was really um, interesting and really fun. In university, it was um, kind of a different world for me. Faye went to business college. And, uh, she was uh, always very sharp mind in terms of business skills and so on. So she went to business school and uh, she supported me as, uh, you know, um, basement suites. And, and um, you know, the, the biggest treat was a uh, an ice cream cone. You know, on Sunday. <clears throat> we, um, <clears throat> it was not... Um, those are the best days of our lives. Uh, it was it was tough, uh, but it was uh, it, it was it was really good in, in so many different ways. So um, at the university, um, uh, I really thought about being an English professor. Uh, I had a, a wonderful um, instructor, uh, Mrs. Belcher, who uh, I always remember uh, put me in the honors program. Uh, she just thought that you know I loved English and. And um, uh, she she put me in this program, and uh, it, it enabled me to um, to be able to get through this. Instead of taking five courses, you had to take seven courses. You had to meet a minimum grade level, and um, you uh, one course was just an exam uh, given by three professors at the end for um, a three hour session, and that was your only exam. Wow! You had to know your stuff. And uh, I know um, I wasn't capable of, of doing all the books and so on. So we formed a, a group of about seven of us um, who uh, met on a weekly basis. Each of us would do something. Uh, we discuss things and talk about it. And, you know, just the relationships of people working together. That was a, a really great teacher for me. And, uh, you know, I always consider myself the, kind of the dummy in the group, you know. Um, and they, they kind of carried um, uh, carried you along and and worked with you. And, and uh, you know, that, that mutual support was, was awful good. And um, so that was uh, something. Uh, and uh, a lot of, we had a lot of friends in university, you know, people um, just from all over in the world would, would be there. And uh, we, we lived, in, you know, in a, in a unique area. But um, the um, one thing is a uh, opportunity came up to get into law. And I, I was always kind of intrigued. Uh, our local uh, lawyers, I was, had the greatest respect for. And I thought, wow, these, these are great folks. And, and um, the stigma of law back in those days was somebody who was really caring, had a, a good sense of what the law was in the community and conveyancing and all those sorts of things. And uh, so um, I applied um, and, you know, I didn't think I'd get anywhere near, you know, but it was accepted uh, out of um, huge um, uh, numbers of people uh, going. And it was funny, the um, the, the way I, got, I looked at every situation when you had this exam to, to write to for entrance is whatever you thought would be the right thing, in law, it was exactly the opposite, yes. you know? and uh, so I kind of twigged onto those things. So that was that was an interesting exercise. So um, 
because we had worked in the summertime and I came back to my, my dad and said, uh, look, uh, I, I really would like to go into this new career. And uh, he said, you know, I've quite crippled with arthritis. Um, I'm, I want to sell the business. And uh, um, then if you're not going to come to you, but I need you for one year. So I um, reluctantly gave up that opportunity because you could not get back in. And uh, we worked with him for a year. And uh, in that year, we kind of opened a, a garden center as well as the, um, uh, the florist business because I could see a, a limitation in the florist business. And um, we, uh, Faye and I traveled uh, to some of the older, we thought very astute people uh, in the industry, both here in the United States, who went down to Oregon and Washington and uh, found out the people who, who just were just great anchors in the industry. And uh, we uh, talked to them about their vision of the future for the industry. And um, they're such great people. And uh, we um, just kind of fell in love with the industry. And we were kind of at the beginning of the garden center uh, around the world. It had been in Europe for some time, but in North America, it was relatively new. And it was a fortunate time because uh, everybody was beginning to garden at that time. Uh, everybody did planted their own seeds and whatnot. That's what the community always did. But now it came uh, a time to um, have newer plants. And as homes were, were being built, built differently, um, what type of plants would fit and, and build that landscape and create that, that surround around your home that was much nicer, uh, both indoors and out. And uh, so um, it, it was incredibly uh, successful at that time. And the nice thing, Aaron, about the business was um, people, no matter what walk of life they were from, uh, it was uh, so wonderful uh, to be able to, um, everybody was, was equal in gardening. There, there was no, and nobody was better at it. It's just that people had a passion for it. They loved it. They all did it. Um, and uh, at that time, I would say uh, the ladies were, were far more uh, into it. Uh, they had that greater passion. But um, I'm seeing that shift today to young men as well. Uh, and uh, um, so it's, it's, a, it's a shared passion. And uh, in the 70s, um, gardening was the number one leisure activity in the world. It was in the front page of many magazines. And so, you know, uh, the movie stars, right? Garden. So it must be okay. Uh, and, uh, and then, um, so we had this whole, whole history. And, uh, the, the, uh, at that time, uh, we, as we're, we're growing the business and so on, uh, on a Christmas morning, we happened to, um, uh, just go for a drive with my wife's parents lived in, in Harrison. And uh, we, I just drove off the road for some reason where Minter Gardens is right now. Just looked at the property and said, wow, this, this would be a great place for a garden. And we talked about it over Christmas dinner. And uh, uh, Faye's dad uh, went and saw the lady and said, would you be interested in selling the property? You know, uh, unbeknownst to, to us. And uh, she was. She was a very nice lady. And uh, so that started this whole process of, of uh, you know, Minter Gardens starting. And um, it was, uh, uh, you know, talk about struggles. It, it never has been not a struggle. It's always been tough. Uh, we, we were turned down by every bank in Canada. And, you know, uh, and uh, the interesting thing was a, um, a credit union uh, at that particular time. And uh, the manager, Bernie Proft, um, uh, came to us and said, look, we've been following what you're doing. Uh, we think you guys are a very important part of the community. Uh, we'd like to, to help you get started. So that was like amazing for us uh, because of Bernie. I think it was uh, he just saw the potential of, of that. And um, so the um, we, we got initial financing to, to get going. 
And Aaron, today we look at, uh, oh my gosh, one, two, three percent. Um, the initial loan for um, almost a million dollars was um, uh, 17 and a half percent. Oh my gosh. Our operating was 22 and a half percent. And um, that was very tough. Yeah. It really was. And, and we did that for, you know, in numbers of years. Uh, so, um, you know, there was, it was always a struggle. Uh, but the, the, the gardens were, were absolutely amazing. We had a chance to work with some incredibly great people to get started. Uh, Faye's uh, dad in particular uh, worked so hard and, and uh, helping us get, um, you know, the place, you know, uh, rotivated and, we, and um, you know, uh, all the mechanics of what had to be done. And uh, so, and uh, many other good people gave us a hand. Um, I went to, to um, people who, um, uh, oh, Mr. Livingston, um, Bill Livingston, who built um, Van Dusen Gardens and Queen Elizabeth Park. And uh, I went to, to Bill and said, uh, so I got him. I said, you know, what do you think, Bill? And he said, you'll never do this. It'll never come together. It's just too big. He said, it's gorgeous, I understand. And um, but uh, but he also made some some very good uh, points. So um, uh, through all the, the things that happened uh, and uh, believe me, it was tough. Uh, we were able to finally, you know, get the gardens built and open it up, and it really was a magical place. It was, it was very, you know, Aquinas. We did, we only had so many resources uh, that we could get from the bank, and uh, so we um, uh, essentially were able to put the the gardens together, get it open, and then every year we made it better. We improved things, and and so on as well. Uh, we had great folks. Uh, we're surrounded by great folks to to help us uh, get it there. But it was um, so that was kind of a a momentous um, uh, situation uh, that uh, we're able to to do. And uh, and uh, you know, Faye and I just work so hard. Faye is kind of the design person. She has these wonderful ideas and concepts. That that's that's her nature. And uh, so we did that. And then at the same time, uh, with the back in the the early days uh, when the land. Commission, which was a good thing, decided to, you know, isolate farmland, uh, no building on farmland, which was very, very important. It separated our community by the freeway, uh, and uh, so we thought we needed a, a presence in Sardis, so we leased some land uh, over there and opened a, another garden store in Chilliwack because we believed in our business, but if it was going to grow, uh, we had to serve the entire community, and uh, so that was that was kind of uh, kind of interesting, but um, we got that opened, and, and uh, uh, we were very successful, and and uh, so from from the, from a dis business uh, standpoint, um, uh, Faye and I traveled uh, a lot when we were young, uh, but uh, we had some opportunities. Uh, we were connected a bit in, in America, and uh, we essentially um, were invited to go on a tour of garden stores in Europe. And uh, so, young. This this is back in the early days when the you know 747 was, you know, just built. So um, I remember leaving out of New York, which was you know kind of a, a experience for us because we're both very young. And uh, but we got to see some of the best garden stores in the world. And and one thing that always stuck in my mind is uh, we went to Germany in particular. Uh, that there there was a destination garden store. It was kind of the the, the first one in the world. And uh, it was, wasn't uh, like most garden stores in a community. It was outside the community. And uh, it had beautiful restaurants and uh, the surround where you, you basically went there as a destination. And that changed the nature and that became the, uh, the, the nature of, um, uh, of uh, garden stores in, in the future of what that was. And we saw them happening all over Europe and so on. And so the, the 
place we have here, um, you know, came up uh, because we knew ultimately that that would be kind of the direction in which we wanted to go. Right. So that from a business perspective, um, uh, we were we were very fortunate. Uh, things always seem to open up. And I think it's about taking risks uh, always. And if you're going to be successful, um, you have to leave your comfort zone and, uh, you know, get into a situation where, you know, you're under a lot of pressure to perform. And uh, I think it makes you stronger. It makes you better. And uh, those are those are kind of interesting, uh, interesting things that we went along um, in terms of uh, family. Um, my um, uh, uh, Faye's parents were, were always so, so great to, to work with. And uh, my dad uh, married again and, and uh, to, to Francis and uh, they were really good. They, they basically ran the business very, very hard work. And uh, that where we started is um, when we going back to the time we took over the business, um, we bought it from, from my dad. And uh, that's where we, you know, kind of got the beginning and, and uh, that whole scenario of where it started. Um, we're very fortunate to have um, two amazing children. Um, and uh, Faye was you know, raising kids as well as doing the books and, and everything else. You know, she had a, a very, very tough life. And, and of course, um, uh, but, um, you know, Lisa was, uh, was just amazing. She grew up in the, in, in this environment and, you know, um, a few years later, um, Aaron as well. And, uh, they are amazing, uh, amazing young people. And, uh, but it's just from, from our perspective, that's what we knew. We, we were, had to fight hard to, to be successful and to be able to grow. Um, the same time, you know, family was, was incredibly important. And, you know, personally, I, I sacrifice a lot of family for, um, you know, to, to help the business survive. And, uh, but, uh, Faye and the both of us, well, Faye in particular just raised the kids. And, uh, Lisa was, uh, very, very good at, um, uh, understanding business. She just, you know, took to it uh, very, very well. And, um, uh, she did, um, uh, exceptionally well in, in school. She went to one of the first, uh, graduate of the business school at the University of the Fraser Valley. And, um, and then, uh, because uh, we had so many contacts uh, in the industry, that's the one thing about our industry. You have so many friends everywhere. Um, yeah, it's, it's the, the nice thing is, if I'm uh, anywhere in the states, um, I have a friend to, to go and stay with overnight. Or friends, so it's just you know, um, that's the nature of, of who we are. So we made made a lot of great contacts. And um, Lisa, uh, when she graduated from college wanted to go and um, stay with and learn the business from uh, other people. Uh, there's a, a garden center group, uh, East Coast Garden Center group, uh, that um, we became friends of. And Lisa went and stayed, stayed with them and worked at each of these really amazing garden stores uh, in the East Coast uh, for, um, you know, about a year. She, you know, spent time going back there and uh, and learned an awful lot uh, from them. And, uh, of course, they just loved her to pitch. I mean, she's just a great, great kid. Uh, and, um, you know, she is... Um, uh, you know, picked up the savvy and then, you know, she did come, decided to join us, uh, which immensely helped her business because her vision, her ideas, and, uh, she was, uh, so good at what she did. She was the only Canadian ever on the American horticulture board wow. that drives, uh, uh, horticulture in America. And, uh, the, um, uh, the director, the CEO, um, said to me, cause we, we, we spent a lot of time in, in the States, all the seminars, learning constantly how to improve and what we are. 
And uh, he said to me, your, your daughter, as he was going up an escalator, I was coming down. He said, Brian, we're so lucky to have your daughter. She's just absolutely amazing. So, yeah, she, she made her mark in, in the world in, in that particular way. So, um, and Erin, as, as she um, uh, graduated, um, uh, she went to UBC and uh, was very, very good at HR. And uh, so she was um, um, uh, really, uh, I, I think, um, um, you know, a very caring person in so many ways. Um, it's uh, back in those early days at residence, uh, she was the one that uh, would make sure female students uh, were not alone. She would, uh, uh, she was in a group that uh, anybody who was up late in terms of female, they'd go and walk together to make sure that they go home safely. So she always had that, that uh, caring attitude about her. And uh, she decided that HR would kind of be where she, she was. So uh, when she graduated from UBC, she went to um, uh, one of the top uh, firms in America, uh, a consulting firm, and she lived in Montreal and uh, would fly out um, uh, every Sunday night to a new destination to help various companies with HR. And uh, she'd fly back on Friday night home, do your laundry, stuff like that, and go back. And wow. uh, she did, uh, it was Accenture that she was uh, working for. and. Uh, so she she was absolutely great. She was also um, the traveler in the family, and uh, uh, she freaked us out all the time because she, um, you know, uh, she'd get on a plane and uh, go to uh, the Scandinavian countries by herself, uh, go to Turkey, and, and back in those days, you know, uh, it wasn't quite there, but it was starting in terms of the change in, in the, uh, the terrorist uh, situation. But no, no, sure she was backpacking, you know, in Turkey and stuff like that. So very courageous young lady, and. Uh, you know, today uh, she and her husband uh, are both in search and rescue. So wow. we're sleeping at at, uh, at night. Uh, they're pulling somebody off a mountain somewhere, and, and yeah. you know, so that's that's kind of the, the you know the family we have. And uh, but and Erin, uh, after a while, could see that you know we were growing quickly. She decided that um, she would give up um, some of that uh, to come and help us out. So we're very fortunate to have her uh, in the business as well. And she brought those HR skills, uh, which uh, to us as well, as well as her, you know, technical skills. So, so we're, you know, in terms of family, uh, we wouldn't be where we are without our, you know, two two daughters, and and uh, they're they're absolutely amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Can you tell us about what it was like uh, to lose your mother at such a young age? Because um, I, for a lot of our listeners, I know that they struggle with support, um, maybe their family isn't as strong, and my hope is that they can listen to people like yourself and learn and grow as a consequence because perhaps they don't have those role models. So how did you approach that and what was that whole experience like for you? Well, um, it was tough because when you don't have brothers or sisters, you're, you're, you're pretty much pretty much it. But it was um, uh, uh, very difficult because uh, my dad had to work hard to be successful and it was very much a, a business. So um, we had a great, um, my grandfather passed away, but I had a great grandmother uh, locally um, in, in Chilliwack uh, who was uh, just really, really great. And uh, our family overall uh, was good. And my mother's uh, parents and, and were in Kelowna and uh, they were they were great as well. So having that that support was was great. But to be very frank, you're pretty much on your own. And that's why I say back at Central School, you know, the teachers uh, sort of wouldn't treat you special, but, um, you know, they were just, you had the sense they were kind of looking out for you. Uh, but it was, because um, it, it, you're very much alone, you, you feel that, because I was, you know, very, very close to my mom. And uh, How did my you father lose was her? Working. Hmm? How did you lose her, sorry? Oh, cancer. Oh, okay. Yes, you know, when she was in her 40s. Right. Yeah, and uh, so, but um, you get through it. 
you know, you, you, you simply do. Like every, every day it gets a, a little bit better and, and you, you just, um, you know, uh, you know, you learn to build other relationships with people. And, and I think that's where, um, you know, friends and associates and, and people and, and that's where still at that time we, we had a, a, that feeling of community where, um, you know, people were, were kind and, and, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, but no, you, you, um, um, life hands you situations and, uh, the secret to, to every individual is how you deal with that situation. Absolutely. And, um, it's, it's devastating and it's tough and, and, but you have to, uh, you know, move on. You can't dwell on, on, uh, you know, getting a bad hand of, uh, of cards. Um, you make the very best of every situation and, uh, it's tough. Believe me, I know that, but, um, you get through it. And, uh, so, uh, no, it's, and there were no support groups at <laughs> those days, right? You did what you did. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, and I still, you know, here I am 74 years old and, and I still remember those, uh, those days. But, um, uh, you know, you learn, you learn so much in that situation and you can't depend on people and you learn to be very independent in yourself, you know, in terms of uh, what you're doing. And, and that independence is a good thing because it teaches you to be stronger and, um, uh, and, and also the other thing is, uh, you tend to appreciate people a little bit more and, um, you know, not be, be quite so insular, but, uh, uh, to be in a situation where you can help other people. I know many, um, uh, youngsters have, have lost their, their moms or whatever. And, and, uh, I have a chance to, uh, and just the circles I know to, to talk to the young people and say, you know, I've gone through that and know what it's like you can do that. And, and, uh, so it's, you know, it, it, it's tough, but you, you, um, Rely on yourself and build your own character. Because remember, it's it's all about how you deal with life situations that that um, can make you um, uh, kind of who you want to be. Yeah, for sure. And I'm interested to kind of understand more where the community came in for you. Because for myself, growing up, we had very little, but people like Ron Laser from Decades and the owners of the Royal Hotel, uh, the owners of Creekside, they were all so supportive that um, not having a father, there were always community supports and I didn't know a world without that. And so when I didn't have uh, other supports, I was able to lean into the community and that's really given me a stronger respect and understanding of the importance and the impact community can have on a child. That's and right. so I'm interested to know, how did that develop for you? Because I'm sure a lot of people who know who you are, like Brian's a community person, he's very community oriented. Was that always, was that just a product of being a part of the Chilliwack community and seeing it every day? Or was there certain moments that really made you go, community is, is an important aspect for me because of how I've been treated by them. Yeah, and, and right from that very early time, uh, back in the early 50s, uh, growing up in a community where everybody looked out uh, for each other, it was small enough back in those days, and it was a time where uh, there was huge trust everywhere. Uh, so I, I kind of never forgotten that. Uh, but also uh, during the time of growing up, um, you know, the local business owners, uh, like um, a lot of them were mom and dads, right? And uh, with their kids. And uh, they, um, you know, I can remember several businesses uh, uh, like your your decades and, and other folks for, for you uh, who would um, you go into the store and they'd you know, kind of give you a special attention. And, and uh, you know, it, it's uh, there's there's quite a few businesses like that. Um, I remember one of the um, uh, 
fellows who did not have, um, uh, you know, children or whatever, and when the Rotary Club would, would to bring your, your sons or daughters to Rotary, um, he would invite me to, to, to Rotary. And, and uh, um, you know, to, that was very special for me to be, you know, asked by someone. And that was, I, I grew up in that situation of, um, yeah, you're treated like you're part of this community. Um, you've had some tough knocks and, and uh, we're going to, you know, just respect you for that and, and help you along. So, and, and that still goes on today. We live in a different world, but in the smaller part of each community, there is still that absolute caring and uh, making sure that, um, you know, uh, we have a, a friend named Rusty Reimer, uh, who is uh, probably one of the, 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 you know, the greatest people. Uh, he's a, an architect with his son, and he's helped us, you know, create and build and uh, all the things that we've done here. Uh, but um, he is constantly uh, going to young people, and he'll come and sit down at a restaurant with them. And, um, you know, how can I help? How, how are you doing? How's your life? And uh, so, um, uh, you know, there are people like Rusty out there who, for no other purpose than try to help, who uh, give their lives to, to helping young people in so many different ways. And a lot of people don't know that. There are people out there who care. Um, and, uh, you know, that'll never change, I, I don't think. And there's, there's always that group. You know, all we hear in the media is, you know, how difficult things are and how challenging things are around the world and so on. And uh, we never hear about these these heroes uh, who are uh, just uh, amazing people. And there's a lot of them out there. So we can never forget that. You know, when you look at your community, uh, there's all aspects of people. And uh, but the, there's that that core of uh, really great people who are very sharing and very caring uh, out there. So, yeah, that's. Yeah. That is one of the things that I'm hoping to bring about with this podcast, because I think of uh, my grandmother who recently passed away, Dorothy Kennett, and she ended up um, taking in my mother, La Linda Pete, into her home from Kokolita uh, Indian Hospital and raising her as her own. And then when my mom had me, raising me uh, in a similar way. Yeah. And so those impacts, knowing that I wouldn't be here today, had she not taken in my mother, had she not supported me, I would likely wouldn't be here, gives me this profound understanding and respect for the impact an individual can make. Yeah. And my hope is to capture stories like yours, um, stories like Trevor McDonald's, Tim McAlpine, these individuals who make such a difference. And my hope is that we can always go back to these stories and learn more from the the people who kind of pioneered Chilliwack, who yeah. pioneered the communities and tried to bring people together. And so I'm also hoping that we can talk about your connection with your wife, because I think um, from what I've seen, a lot of people are very interested in Minter Gardens, as am I. But I think the true beauty is that you and your wife did this together from such a young age and kind of did it all together. And I think that that story is so... When we see it in movies, when we see it on TV, many people scoff at it and go, that's not realistic, that's not possible. Um, the divorce rate is 50%. What do people expect? Yet, we have individuals like yourself and your wife, Faye, who set such a strong example, and I don't want that part to be overlooked. I want to make sure that we talk about how you two met, how you proposed, and how you've worked together to build Minter Gardens and to build a family together because I think that that is the most beautiful part of this whole story. Well, um, you know, uh, you know, love at first sight, I, I guess, is something in terms of Faye. Uh, just in high school, I just happened to, to catch her and see her just uh, on the off chance. And, and, um, you know, I'd asked her, um, um, out on a, on a date. And, and, um, so, uh, 
it was um, um, one of those things. I just, uh, you know, uh, I thought she was an amazing person, very bright and vivacious and and full of life and, and uh, you know, volunteered and did, did a lot of uh, great things, was smart. Uh, and um, just, um, you know, a, a really good person and very caring about so many situations. So, um, yeah, and um, yeah, it was, um, uh, you know, her parents were uh, amazing people. Um, and um, so it was uh, uh, nice to, to have the, the, the connection because not always Faye, it was her family. Her sister was amazing. Her brother was amazing. And uh, so they kind of invited me into into their family, which is uh, which was uh, very very nice. Um, How old were you at the time when you first? I was went? I was eighteen and she was fifteen. Okay, <laughs> okay. So we were we were quite young, uh, but um, uh, the um, uh, hey, you know life life happens when life happens. Yeah. And uh, so, but um, so the. Um, uh, the tough part was when I was going to university uh, back and forth, you know, she was in high school. And so we'd, you know, get to drive back and we'd work, you know, work during the day, but we'd, you know, go out after, um, in evenings and enjoy each other's company. And, and so, no, it was just a, um, a process of learning about each other. And, um, uh, we just, um, you know, hit it off as, as something that was, that was very special. I do have to say though, um, you know, uh, you know, we got married um, in December 27th uh, while I was going to school. She was now in Vancouver um, at the business college. And, and uh, so everything we did, we had to do. Um, there, was, there was no honeymoon, right? There was no, we, we just could, you know, get back to life and get back to work. So our, our whole life has, has been like that. There's been, you know, um, no extended holidays or that type of thing. We just, we work very, very hard. Um, have to give her the, the amazing credit uh, because uh, she uh, has vision. I would come up with these stupid ideas. Um, she was a level-headed person that say, okay, is this really realistic? And can we do this? And how we did. But she was uh, so creative uh, that um, it was, uh, you know, I could never have done it myself without her uh, constant, um, you know, uh, keeping an eye on the bottom line. Are we going to survive this? Because, uh, you know, often we put all the chips on the table and say, you know, is it worthwhile to do this? Yeah, because we'd, we'd both grow. But her talent at being able to, um, uh, I would have this really crazy ideas, uh, but she's the one that uh, would be able to uh, creatively be able to make it happen. And uh, the realistic uh, uh, approach to things, which, uh, you know, I'm off of, you know, um, on the next thing. But uh, no, it's... it's it, 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 the two of us together, I think we, we did that. But you know, she knew all the risks, and she took all the risks, and was was willing to do it, and, and so supportive for the ideas. And and um, unfortunately, you know, because I'm more connected to the community, uh, she would, um, uh, you know, not get the recognition yeah. that, that uh, which uh, always, uh, um, you know, bothers me. But uh, because she she deserves, you know, more than I do. But but no, it's and it's tough, Aaron. There, there is there is no easy way around this. It's just, you know, any couple who runs a business together will tell you how difficult it is to be able to have a private life, a family life, and in a business. Uh, there's, uh, you know, that's the, um, uh, it's it, it's a tough go. And um, you go in every situation. You go from, you know, there's always a crisis or always something that happens that um, you need to deal with. And, um, you know, it's uh, having a the strength to be able to see it through and uh, the good times and the bad times. And uh, I keep saying uh, when I was um, uh, chancellor at the university talking to, to the students and the, the, my, my single message was life is tough. 
You know, it's not how you act and perform and run your life uh, when things are going well. It's how you act uh, and, and perform and work with other people when uh, there's a crisis and how it's going. That determines who you are. That's the core of what it is, because life um, is, is not always, um, you know, uh, fair. Uh, it, it, uh, it doesn't life doesn't make appointments. And um, so it's it's being able to go through those those really tough times and get through when you think there's just no way out. Um, it's going back to that hanging in there, you know, uh, and, um, you know, just having a thing. I'm going to mention one thing for, for anybody who has the opportunity. Uh, Faye and I both took the course together is the Dale Carnegie course. And, um, and Aaron, uh, I would suggest that to you as well. It's about human relations. And uh, it, it's uh, understanding that uh, people uh, essentially, um, uh, we, we all live our lives, but we all face similar situations. It's understanding people um, and uh, their, their roles in life. And little things like, you know, the most important sound in, to anyone in, in the world is the sound of their own name. So, you know, using people's names uh, for them, learning their names, and, and that's so important. You know, hi, Joe, hi, Sally, it's good to see you type of thing. It's, uh, and also uh, when things go wrong, when things go terribly wrong, um, you know, you, you, it teaches you how to look, what's the worst possible situation that can happen here? Happen. That's the worst. And virtually never is it that, uh, that situation. It's always something that's less than that, but uh, being prepared for the worst, mentally preparing yourself. And, you know, it teaches you how to get through the, the very difficult uh, situations in life, but also how to respect and understand uh, other people. That, that's what it's all about. And again, learning people's names and, you know, the old adage of um, you have two ears and one mouth, you know, act in that way, you know, yeah. learning about people, caring about people, and um, building relationships with people. And uh, so uh, that's, a, that's a course that, you know, I, I carry with me all the time. You know, we drop off the wagon, we fall off the wagon all the time, right? But, um, but that's, that's something I would really recommend to everybody. And then not just read the book, um, uh, but uh, to uh, the Dale Carnegie course, it's out there. Uh, it is one of the best teaching, and I'm sorry we don't teach it in our schools. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I think that that is something I hear a lot of my peers talk about is I don't know how to approach people. And that's one of the, the common concerns I see is this, how do I relate to people? I'm also interested if we could go a little bit more into some of those struggles that you and your wife went through and how you approached that. Because within my own life, I, growing up, I've always tried to just deal with it myself, figure it out myself. And now having a partner, Rebecca, um, making sure that I work with somebody else, get her viewpoints, make sure that we collaborate because that helps me see things from other perspectives. But it's something that's taken me a lot of work to do because growing up, it was just like either you figure it out or you don't have food on the table kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. And so being able to move beyond that, how did you and Faye approach that? Or were there any times that stood out that would help listeners be able to incorporate that within their own lives? Because I think we're very much right now in a society where it's like, figure it out yourself. Uh, don't look to your spouse. Like a lot of my friends, they don't look to their partners for wisdom or advice or um, a helping hand. They, they're like, we're close, we hang out together, but when it comes down to it, it's me. And so I'm interested to know how, how do you two communicate when you're making tough decisions or facing a crisis? Well, first of all, you, you have to work together because uh, otherwise you're, uh, that's the beginning of, of uh, the end of the relationship if you, if you don't. Uh, Faye is uh, very smart and, and uh, she has, um, 
you know, good instincts uh, in terms of that. And, you know, going back to Dale Carnegie, we both drew on the experiences from that. And how do we, you know, how do we get through this type of thing? Uh, but, um, but no, it's, it, it is, um, um, it, it's bouncing it off each other. So what, how are we going to handle this? What if this happens? How are we going to, you know, get through this? And, and, uh, and, uh, many cases for, for almost 40 years, um, you know, with the huge debt we had at the gardens and, and, uh, uh, our main business having to subsidize it to, to, to keep it going, um, you know, we could fail at any time. Uh, it, it's always that possibility out there. And uh, so, um, you know, we've we've had 40 years of of, uh, of that is just and other things that happen in life. But it, it is it, you, you have to bounce it off each other. And uh, um, as tough as it is and, and uh, it, but um, um, it, it's just appreciating and listening to um, your your partner's uh, perspective on things and and uh, you know as uh, and, and the the good thing is um, being able to not you just hate doing this but when someone points out your mistakes um, you know I, you know I don't have that mistake well you really do it's um, you know listening to that and understanding that hey you know you're making a lot of you don't do a lot of things well how can you improve and and yeah and realizing that um, sometimes you're not always right and um, you know in many cases it's because you do things in a certain way that that doesn't work out so how do you go back and correct that and i think it's self-examination as well uh looking at it and saying yeah that that really was my fault or we got in a situation because you know we we did this and so on so um and you have to remember uh, the other thing that I always say to to young people, particularly is, is, you know, the best thing you can do in the world is fail. The absolute best thing you can do. It teaches you so much more than being successful. Um, you learn from from failure. Um, it it, uh, it it's the best teacher in the world. It's the hard knock teacher in the world, uh, but it's one we all need. Somebody who never fails or never has a but not, um, they don't really have a sense of what life is about. And um, maybe to appreciate how other people are going through situations and how can you understand somebody else when you haven't been there and uh, done it yourself. So those it's um, accepting your uh, your own infallibilities and, and say, no, I'm, you know, these are my weaknesses and um, I have to, you know. That's the handicap you play with in in, in the world, right? Yeah. Is is uh, you know uh, just learning that um, you 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 do make a lot of mistakes and how to improve those mistakes, how to learn from failure and, and, and do bad things or silly things or goofy things or whatever. Um, you know, um, it, it's okay to do that because it happens to all of us. But how do you learn from that? How do you grow from that? Yeah. Wow, that is really good advice for people. And I think something that we need to hear more of is this willingness to face adversity, make mistakes and grow from it. Can we also talk about your decision to have children and what was going on in your life during that period? Because as as um, I'm seeing, there doesn't seem to be this same desire that I've seen growing up to have children and the benefits and the, the community spirit that comes from that. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's that's being promoted right now. So I'm interested to to understand how. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. And, you know, you go back all those years. But I mean, uh, first of all, back in, in those days, in the, in the 70s, it was pretty much the um, uh, tradition that, um, you know, uh, you, you would grow up and have children. Um, I think part of it is, is, um, uh, being able to create, uh, 
uh, a new life uh, that was part of uh, who you are. We're not going to live forever. Um, uh, so how do we um, uh, take what we are and, and create uh, a new life that uh, would have, perhaps be better than ours? Um, I think the, the, the you know, I never had brothers or sisters, so for me it was so very important to to uh, have uh, children. You know, that that that's that was my only family, right? Essentially, at that point, and um, so uh, no, I think it's a question of of, um, of uh, it comes down to the essence of what family is, and it's it's more than uh, in to me more than just two people. I mean, although in today's world, that is a family. It's a new reality. And you have to understand people's perspective today from all walks of life. Um, so maybe that is a family. But back in those days, um, it was uh, in, in our personal lives um, and uh, from uh, the, the history of our own families in terms of, um, you know, you, you look at your history. Um, you don't think of that at the time, but the, the sense of wanting to, to build a family and create a, a family that... Um, uh, you could share things with and teach things with. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very good question. It's a very tough answer to that, but, uh, it's a sense of, uh, of creating and building something. Uh, in today's world where we have a population, you know, going to be nine billion people on the earth that can't support it. Um, th those are, are different questions. There's new, new things that come into that decision, but, uh, but essentially it's, um, uh, and maybe you can create something who, um, a, a, a child or, or whatever, uh, that has an opportunity to, to do things that other people don't see and create something new in the world. And so it's a whole combination of things, I guess, that would go through your mind. Like initially, you don't think of all those things if you just want to have, um, um, create a sense of, of, uh, family, um, uh, around you. And I think that was really the big thing is, is, uh, the, the operative word you keep using is family. I think yeah. that, that was really the driving, um, essence between, you know, wanting to have children. I think that that's so valuable because I kind of think about where we are right now, but I also think about what matters. And it feels like right now in our society, career is top notch mm -hmm. for most people. When you ask, what do you do? You don't ask what your family is. Yeah. And I look at indigenous communities and it's still very much like, who's your family? Yeah. We don't yeah. care what you do. Um, good job for you for having a career. But what matters is what's your last name? Who are you related to? How might we be connected? Mm -hmm. And your, your family values, I think are so important because it seems like something that seems to fall like third rung on the ladder for so many people right now and I think that we miss out on so much that that cultural piece and that's something my mom and I missed out on was this feeling of like a real strong culture kind of later in my life and right now I see such a value in the, the family dynamic being able to have parents being able to have grandparents being able to have those supports and I know that that's a dream or a luxury for so many people right now because maybe their parents don't understand how to be parents how to support their kids and how to relate to them and understand their struggles and be a supportive person and I think that how part of the reason for the success of Minter Gardens is that you bring that same value to community, to culture, into Minter Gardens. And so I'm interested to know how you connected with your children and how you approached being a parent, because I think that likely that sets such a strong example. And then we can move into Minter Gardens and how that carried over, because 
um, for me, Minter Gardens was a place where we celebrated like Halloween and, and Christmas and you had such festivities going on here. So I'm interested to know how that started for you in the home. Um, how did you approach that and how did that translate into doing uh, celebrations here? Well, it's kind of a kind of a mix uh, thing. I'm, you know, certainly not the best parent in the world. I mean, we, we grew up in an environment where you're always under a lot of pressure for so many things. Uh, uh, but um, uh, part of the, uh, and it's actually uh, um, quite um, uh, interesting. Uh, whatever seasonal things are are important, and um, in, in terms of I think family's life, you know, uh, there's always birthdays and and uh, you know that in um, anniversaries and and uh, you know the the birth uh, of, of the children that that type of situation, but also there's um, things in society. Um, um, and how you, you take this is different. We just had a very personal interpretation. What is Valentine's Day? And I keep writing and articles in the newspaper. It's no longer about your sweetheart. It's about people around you who you care about. Yeah. And that's, it's a, it's a chance to remember these people who in your life who are important. Um, and you go to, to Easter. Easter is, is, is a Christian holiday. Um, you know, celebrating the rebirth. Um, and, uh, it, but it, um, you know, somehow shifted like Christmas away from, you know, that to, you know, bunnies and Easter egg hunts and so on as well. And, uh, but, uh, and, and also, you know, every season, Thanksgiving, getting together with family, uh, and, uh, and Christmas, of course. I mean, the world's, whether you're a Muslim or, you know, any other domination, um, um, you know, uh, Hindu religion or, or any of the, the religions in the world, uh, it's funny. Um, I get phone calls from people because, you know, in CBC, I know everybody, um, Brian, I, I need a Christmas tree and, and, uh, and, and you know, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm Muslim, but I want a Christmas tree and I can't find, can you get one to me in Vancouver and do something like that? You know, those types of feelings transcend a lot and uh, people connection because we live in a very diverse world of many different people. And uh, early on, uh, I think we discovered that, you know, our, our kids are very much, very much a part of that because uh, at Easter, they would be Easter bunnies, both the kids. They would dress up in Easter con and hand out um, uh, candy to young children and so on. So uh, that that's sort of uh, the, the connection we had in terms of family. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, the, the various seasons, they would dress up in Halloween costumes and, and, uh, and so on. So uh, the seasons, because we found that we're so fortunate, we first of all loved our customers because they were the reason we were here. Without them, we wouldn't survive. And we saw um, young parents come in with children and their grandparents and that sequence of, of young people, you know, becoming the, the moms and dads and them becoming the grandparents and so on. Um, those relationships uh, were important to us. And through the, 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 uh, the seasons of the year and the celebrations of very aspects of, of what, you know, uh, society did was, was a chance for, for us to connect with people. And, um, I mean, the, the uh, uh, little things like, uh, you know, getting little notes from people that uh, thanks for, for doing that or, or kids really enjoyed that or grandma really had a wonderful day because, uh, you know, you, you said hi to them. You did something special for them. They gave you Easter candy. Uh, I, I guess it, it, you're talking about community and it, it's uh, what um, experience can you provide people that you work with and associate with and whatever, what experience can you provide um, that lifts their life a wee bit?
And I, and I think that's it. And our kids have always been involved in that, uh, willingly or not. <laughs> but uh, the, the point is, um, uh, they too could see that uh, by doing things like that, it's, it's touching people and giving them perhaps an unexpected experience that was just, you know, maybe that was just the one thing that made their day happy. And all the way through the year, it's just, what, what could you do uh, to help people have a better experience? And um, that's what we always did. We did it as a family. Yeah. And I think all of us had input on how you could, could do that. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, the um, things like here, the, the light show we did for, for many years, um, we never made money. <laughs> it was always, you know, could we do something that provided a neat experience for people? Yeah. And, uh, and, the, and the, the reward was um, people saying, gosh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, uh, that was just nice. Nice you would do something like that and that type of thing. Uh, and, and that's, that's all it was for. It was, it was for nothing else. It's certainly, you know, nothing we did made money. Uh, some of the things like the late show, it just became too expensive uh, to, to do. And, um, you know, the, the little sidebars you never hear about uh, is, um, you know, when it's raining, uh, we had the best, you know, electricians helping us get things set up, but it was never enough of generators. So some of the lights would go out and I'm behind some of those things on the ground in the mud, uh, holding cords together. So they would, you know, or a lady um, was looking at something else and drove off in the mud and, and, uh, here I am late at night myself pushing her car out of the, uh, out of the ditch because, oh. you know, back there and just in, or in a cold night, uh, a lady came with a wheelchair. Uh, here and um, uh, she was by herself. I don't know how she got here. So I'm pushing her through in the east wind blowing, you know, trying to, yeah, you know, it's, it's those types of things that really uh, make the difference. So it, it's more about um, creating an experience for people uh, to make their lives uh, just a little bit fun and, uh, and for just the purpose of being able to do that, period. That's what it's about. That is so amazing because I remember being going to Central School and then they would bring us here and we would get to have these amazing experiences and be out of the classroom for a bit and learn about um, the environment, learn about plants, um, have the light show, uh, the train, all these different unique experiences and to know that that was all a personal sacrifice to your business and to yourself and to your energy. It just, it's something that I don't think gets said enough because the good contributions that people do in the community can sometimes be just taken for granted. And so I'm grateful that you mentioned that because I think of the town butcher out in Sardis yeah. and the impact he's made in regards to trying to share food, um, share positive quality food with families, yeah. trying to make it a cultural experience. I had Bill Turnbull on about a year ago where I talked to him about like the difference that makes for people who might not have that culture in their home, maybe they can't afford a Christmas tree or stuff like that, that this is an opportunity for them to have those experiences, to feel that that culture, to see light um, still out front during the Christmas season is still like, a, yeah, it's Christmas. And like, these are the people I look to because I don't put up my own lights in an apartment. Um, to see this is where I get my culture from. And we go for drives to look at all the other people who've put up their lights. And that all comes at a personal sacrifice for other people. They have to buy the lights. They have to put it up. Uh, they have to arrange everything. And so I'm interested to know a little bit more about what those processes were like. What was the mindset behind bringing uh, children from schools in letting them see everything and letting them learn. Uh, was that always part of the plan when you guys were getting started? Or did you see an opportunity there to help people get access to these ideas? Yeah, and I, and I think it's just a question um, 
of, of uh, really caring about your community and uh, wanting to be a, a source for the for for um, an experience for for young people. Um, and uh, I'm a bit soft-hearted about Central because you know I, I was there, and um, so it's 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 more a question of of. Um, you know, understanding the the importance of of youth and young people, and um, you know the 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 single parent uh, relationship, the children who are by themselves, uh, children are in foster care, children in so many really difficult situations in their lives, and um, and um, but also a chance for them to see something different. And um, you know, the one thing about our world in terms of plants. Uh, they don't care about gender. They don't care about culture. They, they're just a plant, uh, who bring uh, beauty and, and, uh, improve the world and so on. Uh, if we can connect that to people, that is something. And teaching young people, and we've just had so many wonderful members of our team who were good at that and, and sharing that experience and, and, uh, um, you know, we, we still do it today with, you know, part of the pandemic, it, you know, teaching people the magic of a bulb when you put this, this is how it's going to happen. And, and actually working with some of the teachers, particularly in gardening, uh, to be able to, to share the, the tricks. Teachers are very good at teaching, but a lot of them do not have experience in gardening. So I've gone to many schools, um, and, and tried to, uh, explain, you know, the, 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 what it's all about and the fact that, you know, it's very different because you're gone in June. Who's going to look after things as they ripen and, 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 you know, who's going to care for the gardens in the summertime and all the pitfalls that normally would uh, come out. So just sort of giving them a sense of, of learning about the art of being able to grow plants and what it takes and, and, uh, how easy it can be, but how incredibly difficult it can be. And, and again, how do you deal with the challenges and, and, uh, in a positive way? So it, it's, it's, um, yeah, I don't think we did that consciously. Um, uh, it just, it, it's, it's just one of those things you, you just do. And I think with anything, you, you, you just do it because it just seems like the, the right thing. And, and, um, uh, so, but there wasn't a conscious plan to go and, you know, we're going to be this particular hero. It's, it's a, a question of, uh, uh, isn't it great if we can, can do something like that or, or share that particular bit of uh, information? And it, it's nothing more than that. You know, it, it really isn't. Well, because I just have to thank you because like that had a direct impact on me. I did, uh, I think at 13 or 14, um, after going to Central and having those positive experiences, Jake and I tried to start our own garden on a balcony. It was, it did not work out, but that passion and knowing knowing you've always been like a figure in our community since I was a young child to now, you absolutely did have a positive impact on my development, on my friend Jake's development, and just knowing that people have that kind of mindset of that's just what you do in a, in a community has real, real benefits for the, the young people that you're impacting. And so I just, I want to thank you for that because I definitely am grateful that, that this place exists and that you exist because I've known about you my whole life and the impact that you have on our community and that you are a pillar in our community from a young age. You've always just been a role model, um, whether it was always conscious or unconscious. Um, in my mind, um, it did have that impact. Well, that's very, very kind. Um, I, I don't see it that way myself. I, I just, you know, when you see so many great people in our community, we're all um, 
uh, holding the community together and doing little things we can. And there's so many people from all walks of life you'd never even think. Uh, so it's it's to be part of that community, uh, going back to that very situation. It, it's who we are as community members. Yeah. And uh, no one is better or, or, or worse, uh, but we're all part of the, uh, the this whole situation. And, and it, it, it really, um, the, the, the narrow community or the broader community, it, it's, it's, that's what it is. And um, I go back to this thing about, um, you know, being Canadian. Uh, it, it uh, to me, means a lot to me. Uh, and how, you know, wherever you go and how you act, and this particularly in other countries, uh, you represent um, uh, who we are. Uh, I've been very disappointed in the past uh, two years in terms of um, who I thought uh, Canadians really were. Uh, I guess it's a mind-blowing situation. There, you know, yes, there are people from different walks of life who look at the world differently, but we're supposed to be that kind, generous, thoughtful, helpful uh, country. And uh, I, uh, I, when you see the pandemic and how people are acting, uh, um, who really are being, I think, in many cases, very selfish, uh, and um, you know, the spreading something that uh, is very harmful to, to so many people, uh, the, the thoughtlessness and, and so on. Uh, I didn't know we were like that. Um, uh, one of the, the the great pleasures in my life is is um, uh, inducting new Canadians into citizenship. Um, that is is uh, just you know to me absolutely mind blowing. When you people from you know when you look at the people who are there who are from all walks of life had just I hope you got this up. People who had um, just terrible experiences in life growing up in countries where it's just not been, been been fun. It's been really hard, and you have a chance to. It's already been done, but you have a chance uh, to uh, celebrate with them their becoming Canadian citizen, taking the oath of citizenship. And uh, I I treat that as you know. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I think that this is so important because I think that we've really lost what it means to be Canadian over these past few years and your passion and understanding of what that means I think is so important for people to understand. Yeah, and, and, and you know, um, when you see, you look in their eyes and uh, uh, you do the oath of citizenship in English and in French, um, is uh, and you know I I you know make him make a mistake in French or whatever and and I laugh and and they laugh with me and it shows we're on the on the same page we we care about this country and want to be Canadian and uh, when we uh, when the ceremony is over to be able to to greet them um, uh, just that uh, you know welcome to our country you know it's um, uh, it's a new opportunity for you it's also a chance for you to bring all your knowledge and uh, all your culture and your skills to make our country better. And uh, it is it's such a moving experience uh, for me, obviously. <laughs> but, um, and the letters that I get and the feedback and get in customers out of the, out of the blue, you know, five years later say, you know, Brian, uh, you, you, I'm a Canadian and you're at the Oath of I'm just so glad you were there. And uh, just to be able to, to share our country with people and helping them have a better life. But at the same time, and this is so very important, is appreciating what they bring to make our country better. 
and uh, that that is just one of the one of the absolutely great things that uh, you can do and to, to be in that position to be able to do that is is uh, just so amazing and uh, um, but uh, to to treat them with the greatest respect and and uh, you know you're not supposed to hug them but you know but some of them the older folks in particular uh, whether no matter what a culture they're from just just to be able to you know they give you a hug and um, boy what an honor you know so that's uh, yeah, talk about, and it's the broader community, who we are as Canadians, and uh, I think uh, a lot of us have messed that up, and we need to get back to being a country uh, uh, that um, uh, was perceived as being fair and, and forthright and caring and helping other people. And uh, so that's, you know, from the small community to the broader community, I, I think we need to get back uh, back to that. But uh, uh, we're just blessed to have so many cultures. And I, I want to point out, too, that, um, you know, uh, everything that uh, we do these days uh, um is, is about uh, understanding uh, reconciliation from our, our uh, First Nations. My uh, grandfather was very much a loner, and I think I picked a, a, a lot from him as well. And uh, one of the great things in his life was the elders um, uh, from the First Nations uh, around would come and sit with him uh, on the porch at night and tell their stories. And uh, he shared that with me, and, and that always stuck with me uh, as being, you know, what a privilege that he had to be able to, to have that. And uh, we um, at the university made uh, many of the um, leaders and uh, the particularly the, the elders, uh, you know, uh, professors, and uh, honorary doctors, and so on. And <laughs> sorry, this is this is tough. I'm so grateful that you're sharing this, though. Uh, the um, one of the uh, uh, ladies, and, and when I would see them, you know, they came in. They didn't know anybody. It's like a foreign. These are educators, and they're you know wearing gowns and stuff like that. And I and I'd see uh, these wonderful uh, elders come in. I go and sit with them, and and then you know laugh and joke and and kid around and 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 uh, so on. So that was fine. Uh, everything was was done and whatever. And then they have a dinner to to uh, recognize them afterwards. And uh, so and this gentleman was with his uh, family. And so I, I sat with another group. I didn't know who they were, and they were uh, from um, a support group for First Nations from the government. And uh, and the lady said she we should be very very proud, Brian. And I said uh, why? And he said. I'm sorry. Too emotional. Uh, you, should, you should be very proud, Brian. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, I asked um, Mr. Uh, and there, there was one, several was wonderful folks. Uh, what was the best part of the day? He said, the time they spent with you. And uh, I was uh, also had the privilege of speaking to the Invasive Plant Council in, in uh, Vancouver. And uh, uh, the, the people from all over the world were there. And uh, the... Um, the great thing about any of these meetings right now is we have First Nations come, and uh, these folks are particularly amazing. They, they uh, uh, non-discriminatory, you know, uh, the, the the white folks and diversity and so on like that, and said, you know, this is this is our heritage, this is our land, and we welcome you. Uh, and uh, they were just so good at, uh, at their songs uh, uh, yeah, and, and their, their presentation of, of say, when you leave, you know, uh, we want you to uh, make sure that um, uh, you um, enjoy yourself and you get home safely. And uh, so uh, 
at the end of that, uh, the gentleman in charge said, uh, Brian Minter, and I said, what now, <laughs> what do I do? He said, we want to thank you on behalf of First Nations, you know, of all the people you have been so supportive, so helpful, and, uh, you know, working working with us over the years. And, and uh, so I thought that blew me away. I can't even talk about that. <laughs> How important that is uh, to me, non-deserving. Non but uh, but also uh, we are now with tourism. Uh, we are, I think, we're the first in the country um, working with um, our local First Nations. Uh, we had a First Nations advisory council, uh, um, Dan uh, from um, uh, Kamloops, who um, is, a, is a First Nations uh, consultation firm. Um, we got together for three days or parts of three days to um, uh, talk about how we can work and that the best we could hope for was to be a trusted friend, to, to have that relationship. So we spent three days of uh, working together and uh, oh my gosh, did, did we learn an awful lot, understanding this whole settlement issue and this whole um, uh, you know privilege, uh, the white privilege we have and the entitlement that we have that never even give a thought to, to oh my gosh, you know, here's these wonderful folks we live with and, and don't even appreciate and understand them. But uh, going through that process and um, gaining their respect and trust. So we have kind of the first agreement, uh, we think, in the country in terms of how we work together. Um, that uh, they will be on our tourism board uh, as, as representatives of First Nations as we move forward together in, in building tourism and all the First Nation things. But it's those, those types of relationships that are, are absolutely uh, so important and so precious. And, and the beginning to even begin to understand the, 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 the horrible situation that they've gone through, residential schools. But uh, to be able for them to see beyond that and actually work with us to to build a, kind of a, a beginning of a new relationship. So, and when you talk about community, you know, uh, that's that's just a, an amazing community right there. So I've uh, reference to my grandfather. I've always had this, um, you know, um, really respect, and we have so many First Nations friends who you know come and give you a hug all the time. Uh, it's like, wow, you know, how privileged am I? You know, type of thing. So that's sort of you know. That is absolutely beautiful, and I honestly want to appreciate you for sharing that emotion because that is what I'm hoping people get out of this is, to me right now, it feels like everything in the public forum is lip service. It doesn't feel genuine, it doesn't feel honest, it doesn't feel connected to the community. And that's one of my biggest frustrations and part of the reason I started this is because I do believe we have leaders and role models in our community. They're just not holding political office in the federal government or in the provincial government. We don't have those voices who genuinely value the connection that they have in the community. And so I think for a lot of listeners, they're going to get so much out of what you just said and how this really impacts you because that is the whole idea of media is to remove the emotion and I'm really against that because then you don't get to know people's true intention and it's clear through what you were just discussing that you care, that you genuinely understand and I think of indigenous communities that don't have the greenery, that don't have the gardening experience and I think of people like yourself as stewards so that when indigenous communities are ready, they can come here and they can get started and the resources, and the knowledge and the wisdom of how to take care of these plants and how to take our role back as stewards for our environment and for 
our areas and for our land. I think that that's such, such a strong example because I'm sure that many of those indigenous people do come here to learn, to reconnect with things that we've lost in our culture for so long. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I think the, the, the issue is, is uh, just being so uh, insular and, and not understanding or having a clue uh, about um, how important and, and the resources they, they bring. It, it's, the, uh, it's their stories and their history. And, and the one thing that uh, I got out of the, of the meeting uh, with, with the, the, the two chiefs and, and uh, Allison and I and, and Dave Sheppy, who is such an important, he works for First Nations and, and he, he's so great, the, the, the five of us. Um, but um, Chief Dave and, and uh, Jim, Jimmy and uh, uh, Ernie, uh, they um, uh, both said, you know, when the elders talk to us, uh, they say, this is what we want you to do, but do it in a good way. So everything we done right now is, you know, we're going to do that, but we're going to do it in a good way. Yeah. And that, that understanding of how important it is to uh, the context of what that really means. And uh, totally oblivious to that yeah. and until we had the, you know, the sharing of that experience. Yeah. So whatever we do right now, uh, even, even personally, let's do it in a good way. Yeah. yeah, that is a beautiful thing to say, and I think sets such a strong example because one of the frustrations I've voiced many times on this podcast is my frustration that we don't look to our elders right now. Um, Western culture seems to look at um, seniors. You're done. You're finished. <laughs> yes, go retire. <laughs> yeah, go. We'll go. get the young ones involved, right? <laughs> exactly, and I think that that is such an error, and not one that indigenous communities seem to make. They seem to have this very deep appreciation for the wisdom, the stories, and the knowledge that the elders carry. And it's frustrating to me, especially during this pandemic, to see all of the care homes for the elderly just not really prioritized at all. Yet no. these are supposed to be our sources of knowledge on what was World War II about? What was World War I about? What, why were we involved in these? Why did this matter? Like it, today it feels like my peers feel like, well, that was silly that we got involved in that war. And like war is stupid. And it's like, you don't, un you don't understand. You don't understand the disagreements we had with Stalin, with Hitler, with Mao. These, these were important issues that we were facing and the willingness for Canadian troops to get involved, to go into Afghanistan as peacekeepers, to stand up for Canadian values. I think that comprehension, that knowledge is so missing from my generation right now because we think that whoever made those previous decisions were silly. Why would you go to war? Why don't, why don't we just sit around and watch TV and relax? And it's like you don't understand what, what the problems that we're facing. Like, people were genuinely concerned about nuclear annihilation. And that just doesn't seem to, to click. No. And I'm very worried about that because the, to your point about this pandemic, it doesn't seem like we have that deeper knowledge on what it means to be a Canadian and how to represent our community, our society, how to go abroad and represent um, as a Canadian. And I think that it's so important that people hear your approach because it does set the example and it does feel like something that's missing from, from the public conversation. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and I, I, I become just very upset when, uh, when I see the level of, if, um, you know, it doesn't matter who it is in, as a public figure, uh, the disrespect that now is, is out there, uh, openly. And, uh, it's, um, 
that's not who we are. That's my, not my definition. Yes, you disagree and you disagree vehemently and, and you, you get that out. But, uh, the, the level of, of disrespect, uh, is, is just not, um, who at all who I envision is, is we, we, we are as Canadians. You know, we're diverse and we disagree and we, you know, have a different view of the world. We all do in our own way. Uh, but, uh, we, we do it in a, in a, in a way that, um, communicates uh, uh, well and articulates well, uh, but uh, when you get to that mob uh, situation um, and the, the, the thoughtlessness of, uh, of um, unvaccinated people, and there's many good reasons why people would become unvaccinated. We appreciate and respect that. But um, when you take it to a level of uh, disrupting uh, the healthcare workers from doing their job of uh, saving people and helping people, um, there, there's no no excuse for that type of behavior. And that and we're seeing more of that. That worries me uh, a great deal. Yeah. That, that really does upset me. All the things we talk about, family and community, uh, where's that gone? Yeah, you know that uh, that is uh, very disturbing to me. Yes, and I hope that through hearing this, people can look at things from a different perspective and grow from listening to people like yourself, listening to people like Trevor, who do work hard to serve their community, who do sacrifice their personal lives, their comfort to try and bring things to the community. As you've said throughout this, you've sacrificed um, to invest in the community and to have the community make these certain decisions and approach things in this way. is It must be frustrating because you've invested so much and that kind of reaction, especially to healthcare workers like I still remember I guess it was a year and a half ago now when we were all banging and making sounds to try and support That's and right. show our gratefulness and protesting outside of the hospital I think to your point is the exact opposite it's whatever the reverse of us all stopping at 7 p.m. and banging our bells and pots and pans to show our support it's the exact opposite and I think that there is a level of thoughtlessness and sticking it to people that is very concerning and I think that it misses that mark on community and yep. being a role model and trying to set positive examples. Yep. Yeah. That that's a, it, it, that's precisely it and and uh, that uh, but um, you know we have to work hard to bring that back. Yeah. You you're never going to do uh, win anything uh, through confrontation. Yeah. Uh, it, it's um, it's finding uh, you know common ground to be able to to reason this through to you know um, and uh, that um, you know, it, that is how we have to, to be able to solve this problem. But we need to be doing it. Absolutely. Sitting on our hands is, is great. I wrote an article in the Vancouver Sun. Uh, I, I really appreciate uh, Ian Mansbridge. Uh, Mansbridge, Ian, um, uh, okay. Uh, Hannah Mansing. Yeah. Uh, uh, I know him from CBC. I've been there for, for so long. And uh, we, we often sit down and talk. He was interviewing two scientists on climate change. And, uh, you know, as Canadians sitting on their hands uh, about about climate change, well, this is really bad. Yes, we're in a crisis right now. Ian asked two of the scientists, so what can we do as individuals to, to do something? And both of them said, well, you know, find your your like mates, build, build community within, you know, and um, I, I disagree with that. You know, stop driving your car so much. Turn your temperature down a little bit. Stop consuming so much. You know, 
there's, those are the little things. That's what Ian was trying to get at, you know. And uh, you just see the letters I got back from from people saying, "Thank God, somebody's thinking like that." You know, yeah. it is. It is. Uh, we just, just we just have to get back to that. It's not somebody else's. It's problem. It's our own problem as individuals, yeah. and we have to get back to the point of, of uh, taking responsibility. Yeah. You know, for for the environment. Uh, you know, um, we 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 can all do so many things, and we can do it right now. We don't have to wait. Yeah. Can you can you tell us about that? Can you tell us what it's been like to have such a deep connection with the environment and to have kind of watched what's been going on since you started this business to now see like this conversation feels like it's been going on for 20 years now and it still feels like parts of it are debated uh, from your perspective. What have you seen being in this industry for so long? Well, um, you know, I just wrote another article on, on uh, you know, uh, from a, um, a green perspective, uh, planting billions of trees. Uh, there's data now that, that um, you know, planting more, more than billions of trees. Pakistan, uh, of all places in the world, you would think in terms of, you know, because we so don't understand countries. Pakistan is a great country in so many different ways. Uh, they're planting 10 billion trees in Pakistan. Uh, and uh, uh, we have a 10 billion tree um, program going on now in Canada, uh, if they ever get to it and so on. But the, the, the questions is the ignorance, well, what type of tree, where are they going to be planted, who's going to maintain them, what size of tree are they going to go in, uh, and uh, how, how soon is it going to have any effect? We, we, we're so superficial in all the things we do, we just don't have a deep under understanding. Um, it, it's it's the, the carbon emissions. We just have to get those carbon emissions down. So whatever that takes. And we're as guilty. We have a furnace in our home. We have uh, heaters in our greenhouses. Uh, and um, and so, you know, we need, and, and um, you know, in terms of the whole situation, we, we all need to do better and we need to start that very, very quickly. But uh, coming in and seeing what's happening over there, uh, our, our green industry, um, I think, is doing uh, a lot of things well and getting more trees in people's yard. The pandemic is where people were stuck at home around the world and they decided to make their homes uh, or apartments or whatever more green, more beautiful, more welcoming. Uh, they've taken, stripped the trees out of the nursery industry around the world. Uh, they're, they're, right now, it's hard to get bigger trees because the nursery was selling everything, all of them, uh, and not saving enough big ones to go on to, to bigger sizes. So uh, people have been planting and doing more more uh, green and more caring and surrounding them. And the young people in particular have uh, been doing more. Uh, the, the younger generation, millennial generation right now are our savior. Um, gardening, as we talked about earlier in the 70s, was the number one major activity. It almost died in the late 80s and 90s. Because people uh, got away from it. Uh, the, the, the traditional home didn't exist anymore. Smaller homes, smaller lots, uh, postage stamp, uh, things, a whole, whole number of situations. It's the millennials that uh, drove the, 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 uh, uh, the, the life back to green plants and green living and so on. And they're continually doing that. They're now a bigger buying share, the biggest biggest buying share in terms of consuming plants uh, uh, of anywhere. And their 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 view is they you know it all started uh, oh about uh, ten years ago. I was in South Africa giving a, a talk to the um, International uh, Association of Garden Centers, and uh, you know people from every country saying, I just don't understand. All of a sudden, the vegetable seeds are going off the rack, and it happened simultaneously worldwide. And people wanted to plant; they wouldn't, didn't trust that people would die from grass in California. 
They wanted to grow their own plants organically, possibly can, uh, nutrition for their children, and the whole thing started. And, and they've been pushing it ever since. And uh, so, yeah, what, it, what is happening right now is uh, and they don't uh, just do it uh, and put a plant in a windowsill. They embrace the green culture and they embrace what it means. They understand that by having a plant in your home, uh, it changes your level of stress. It changes your level of, of happiness. Uh, it, the, the care and nurturing that it takes to live a plant, it brings out a, a new element in people. And uh, I give this talk to the garden writers in New York uh, about, um, you know, the, the new reality of, of plants. And I followed the World Health Organization's guidelines in terms of what they're doing in terms of green spaces and cities uh, and how it changes so it helps people socialize better. Uh, every culture is different. Every age group is different. But how much green space they need and how much is now needed in every city where the World Health Organization is, is actually uh, trying to to get uh, communities and cities of all types all over the world to be able to put this green space in. And um, this whole thing about a green apartment now is being built. Uh, uh, it's um, 10,000 trees planted on top and outside of an apartment. 10,000 trees uh, are, are happening. Italian um, architectural firm is now doing that. They've done one in, in Holland, they're doing it in Italy, and now they're starting. And China is, is of all places, uh, uh, building the first green city, uh, which is a, a whole new entity. But uh, the Japanese scientists in particular uh, have identified that um, when, and they can quantify this, when you go outside into a green space, um, you know, hopefully a forest or or, or that, uh, like, for eight hours, two eight-hour periods, when you're there for that time, plants give out an aromatic phyton side, and that phyton side uh, has a chance to um, work on our bodies, and our immune system is proved, improved by 43% in that 16-hour period, and our the production of white blood cells that fight off diseases and so on is increased by 56%, and that, uh, that effect stays with us for about 30 days. Wow. So the, uh, we now can scientifically identify that connection to green uh, and how very important it is in various ways. And this is where green space and all these things. And Vancouver, quite frankly, is one of the great cities in the world for being able to, to be able to do that. Yeah. And um, you know, all the cities, I think of Surrey and the expansion, I get to work, work and, and write about the urban uh, forestry and where that's going and so on. So there's a movement now to, to surround us with, with green. And, uh, and and those things are all beginning to happen simultaneously. But people have to understand the importance of, uh, you know, of what that really means. And, and um, But it's so diverse and so technical. And there's so many holes in all the arguments and so on. Uh, but the point is, it doesn't matter. Shift. Yeah. Consume less. <laughs> Um, you know, live in a cooler environment where you don't have to, you know, have your feet up and so on. So, and use less energy and, um, and start that thing to process. But if it's got to start now, it's not, you know, it should have started 10 years ago. The environmentalists were, were always the bad guys, right? And, and, uh, uh now quite frankly, they're, they, you know, they're the heroes in terms of having that vision a long time ago. So, yeah, but I'm trying to put this to answer your question in terms of our industry. Um, we, we've been good players and we've been bad players and we need to improve what we're doing. But we are at least getting more um, green things in people's uh, lives. 
Yeah, I think that for so many people, uh, myself included, learning about the air quality that you end up with if you keep your windows closed in your house. You end up having worse air quality than if you go outside and yeah. obviously inhale yeah. the air there. Yeah. And so considering these ideas and being able to put it together for people so that it's accessible, I think is so important right now because for some people they're like, oh, I don't want to have to maintain a plant. And it's like, but you you like you have to... It's like people require different arguments depending on who they are. And so for me, it was like, I don't want to breathe in low quality air. So we have like aloe vera plants. We have like snake plants. We yeah. have, we're trying to get things into the house mm -hmm. so that we can be confident that when we're breathing in air, that it's high enough quality so that we're able to focus on our work so that we feel comfortable in there yeah. and relaxed. And I think that you're right. My generation is really waking up to the fact of like, how do I make this a green, comfortable space to work in, live in and not have to stress? so much about needing like uh there was a whole idea of like grounding yourself and there's been different movements that have That's helped right. people yeah. start assessing the idea that like yeah it's probably not a good idea to stay in your apartment seven days a week and never go out into a forest and i think that learning about uh the relationship with plants and and how that impacts our immune systems is so important during a pandemic that it that's another thing that frustrates me that we haven't talked more about how to how to be healthy yeah. not just how not to get sick which is yeah. what it feels like we focused on yeah. how to live a healthy healthy, meaningful life because talking to the artist Lucas Simpson, he talks, he goes out and he tries to draw trees and he talks about how the tree feels like a real, a real thing to him and having Eddie Gardner, the elder on, um, and him sharing, uh, how he talks about the trees. He didn't call them trees. He calls them the grounded ones and tra changing our relationship. I think I mentioned to you that, uh, Paul Stamets came out with a, uh, a documentary called Fantastic Fungi. And they talk about how trees actually communicate yeah. with each other through mycelium. And I think that one thing I'm really waking up to is that we treat plants like they're less alive than perhaps dogs or us. Um, I'm wondering if you can expand on that a bit. How do you view plants in comparison to the average person who doesn't have any gardening tools? They don't, they don't interact much with plants. How do you view them? Because it, they are alive. And so how, what is that perspective for you been like? Well, if I had a happy place in this world, uh, it's up in an alpine uh, meadow somewhere. I had a chance two years ago to go to Switzerland. And um, uh, the, the, one of the, the really great experiences in my life is uh, four o'clock in the morning uh, to get up in the summertime and uh, just take off by myself in the dark, uh, running up the mountain. And, um, and uh, being uh, the sun's coming up, uh, be in, in, in the, the Alps, with just so much color and beauty around of so diverse and so on. Uh, to have the privilege of being in that location is, is absolutely amazing. So, you know, is that my happy place? Absolutely. And uh, all my life is, I've had the, the, the pleasure of being able to grow uh, plants and work with plants and, and uh, uh, so on. And, um, you know, you, you just have a, a, you know, quite frankly, a symbiotic relationship, um, you, you know, trying to solve problems when they're not doing well and, and help, you know, learning more uh, about them and, and learning, you know, the, the intricacies of so many different types of, of plants. Um, you, you just you can't help but have a connection. And it's not silly or anything else. It just, it just, you know, um, I, I've been around the world with growers who are very good growers. And, um, uh, we would walk into a, a, a greenhouse in Holland or anywhere else like that. And, uh, you can sense that there's something wrong. You could sense that a plant is wilting. And, uh, I, I really 
um, annoy some of our people here, uh, I can walk into a greenhouse and know that something needs water. You, you just you you just have that that sixth sense of of, of of knowing that, and other growers, you know, the same thing. And uh, so when you're when you're connected, your 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 livelihood depends on them, but you work with them. It's it's more about, you know. Uh, it's not producing a plant. It's producing a, a plant that's healthy and and survives. It can can perform whatever you know. If it's provide shade or provide color or provide you know uh, landscape beauty or or uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, learning how to do that the very best you possibly can. And uh, so uh, that that is uh, you know um, that's an experience you care with care with you. Yeah, and young people are learning that. You know, they, when they first started, they were very green at doing that. And it's partly because, you know, the traditional family or grandma would always teach, the matriarch would always teach, um, uh, the kids that, that, that went sideways. Uh, and, um, so they had to learn on their own, millennials, uh, as a rule of thumb, because they didn't have the, the teachers. And, uh, my grandmother was a very, you know, uh, good teacher, uh, to me in terms of that. She, she was a passionate gardener, loved, uh, loved things. And, and so, you know, uh, it's uh, the privilege of being able to work with plants all the time. And look, we're in surrounded plants right now <laughs> from all different things. Is is uh, that's that's really the the beauty of what we're doing here right now is is um, you know uh, non-judgmental, um, but they suffer the same fate uh, of, of all of us. You know, things go wrong. How do you fix them? And uh, just when you think everything's right, uh, Mother Nature steps in, and uh, you know, heavy rains or or cold weather, bitter cold and, and frost at the wrong time, as well as insects and disease problem, who all deserve a place on this earth. You just have to, to learn to control the problems uh, in, in a minimum way so that um, the plants you're, you're, you're growing uh, are going to be healthy and, and nice. It's not destroying anything. It's just controlling things to, you know, create that balance. Right. It sounds like you, you're kind of landing on that green thumb idea of being able to walk into a room and feel that those plants need watering. And I'm, I'm done with uh, underestimating our relationship with the environment. I think that for too long, our society has kind of looked at humans like we're super special, uh, nothing else is like us, and therefore we don't have this relationship with the environment. And after learning that um, like a a father tree or a mother tree um, will help their offspring and move food to their offspring trees in order to to survive through mycelium. After learning that, there, I don't have any excuse to ever question this deep connection we have with the environment anymore. Like that was really the nail in the coffin for me of like, okay, I don't understand anything because I didn't know that trees had lineages. I didn't know that trees had connections with each other. Like we have this superficial understanding that like that's just a tree. Yeah. And I think that that is likely the wrong mindset after learning that they can communicate with each other. So I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on the idea of the green thumb. Uh, many people say, I just don't have a green thumb. Do you call hogwash on that? Do you believe that people are more inclined to be relatable with trees in the environment? Or uh, do you think that anybody can get involved and start to develop that relationship. Absolutely. Any, absolutely anyone. People believe because they bring a plant home and they, they don't know how to look after it. No one's taught them. And uh, so they, 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 I've got a brown thumb. Uh, it's, it's, it's the brown thumbs we want to, to fix. Uh, the green thumbs are great. You know, it's, it's not a green thumb. It's a sense of understanding 
uh, what a plant really needs to survive and, and, and grow. And uh, one of the, the, um, the great opportunities I have, I, I deal with young people all the time and, and older folks as well. Uh, so how we look after this plant. First thing I do is pick up a plant and put it in their hand and say, hold this. And, and I said, does it need water? And they all say uh, yes or no, because if it's heavy, it doesn't need water. If it's light, you instinctively know. Virtually everybody does that. Uh, husband and wife teams are often bad because they both <laughs> But in, in any person, young or old, they instinctively know when you pick up the plant and feel the weight, you know whether it needs water or not. Yeah. You know that. And, uh, and I said, okay. So we now we know how to water, which is the single most important thing for them, yeah. is because uh, they're in a pot, they're isolated, and it's how you give them enough water to be able to grow. Next, they need some sort of indirect light or light to be able to survive. They go have to go through that photosynthetic process to be able to, you know, produce food and new leaves and so on, and uh, and and also to do that. Um, and the funny thing, um, I used to do the BBC for five years uh, in Britain uh, with the Open Mind program. I'm in Chilliwack, doing a, a studio in London, uh, answering questions in Australia or Dubai, uh, and and uh, the same thing. So I, I go through the whole, you know, problem. Like, okay, what's wrong with that plant? I says, funny. What are you feeding it? The answer is almost equivocally the same. Feeding it? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You're in Britain. You're the world leaders in plants. Anyway, yeah, understanding that plants need light, to, to indirect light to be able to grow. They also need nutrient because every time you water, you're leaching the goodness out of that soil, replacing that soil organically or whatever, but needing feed. So it's, it's very simple in terms of being able to reposition plants so they're getting light, knowing how to water and knowing that they need nutrient uh, and uh, how to, you know, basically those are the things that you want to do. Then you deal with the whole problem of, of uh, you know, uh, hidden things that you just have to, you know, like disease and insect problems. But uh, but basically anybody can be a plant. They just have to um, drop their preconditions that you don't know. You do know. It's very simple. Those three things. And by putting a plant in somebody's hand, that's the beginning, opening the door for them to understand um, this is something entirely unique and different. Um, and uh, these are just a few basics to make it survive and do well. That is brilliant. And I think has so many transitions over to people because I think right now we live in an excess culture. Uh, people eat too much. Uh, they, they don't drink water enough. They are likely drinking other substances that aren't nutritious um, and they're not going outside enough. And so once you, wh what do you think the human benefits are for people considering gardening, because I think that it wakes, it hopefully wakes people up to the understanding that are you drinking enough water? Are you eating the right foods? Are you exercising and going outdoors enough? It starts to make you realize that this this very simple plant just sitting here, it needs these things. But are you getting these things? Because right now, like uh, buzz terms are like um, overworking, um, burnout, these ideas. And th these are all terms to show that we're not taking care of ourselves. So when you get to work with people, customers who come in, what do you see the benefits being for these individuals who start to develop a relationship with the plants and hopefully carry those ideas over to themselves? Yeah, and I, I really, uh, we're beginning to make the connection between plants and people. We're, we're beginning, we need to, to, like anything else in nature, we need to learn from it. Um, and uh, so I, I think um, this, this, but the millennials are leading the way. 
the boomer generation started the whole gardening thing, uh, and uh, and I think they were doing it for selfish reasons. Uh, perhaps uh, you know my yard needs to be my grass needs to be greener than my neighbors, and you know I want to have a prettier home and all that sort of stuff. Uh, to the point where we got away from that and and are living in smaller spaces and a new environment and and uh, you know the 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 reality of of modern day living. Um, uh, millennials have brought that back. And uh, in spades, uh, they they are, are getting it and understanding, uh, and they're becoming very good at it. They're taking it to to really amazing levels. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, I'm particularly impressed. Uh, and the, the ladies just get it. I'm sorry. They're, they're so much better than males in terms of uh, connecting and, and growing and, and whatever. Uh, they're just so good at it. Um, but the young men now uh, from all walks of life, are now uh, coming up to me and, and saying, um, you know, how do I do this? You know, but they're good at it. They're studying it. They're trying it. They want to grow the exotic. They want to grow beautiful watermelon chilliwack. They want to grow beautiful cantaloupe. They want to grow the exotic and the different types of things. Uh, and they're trying so hard. They're becoming very discerning in terms of the plants. And, and that's what it takes is a discerning attitude to be able to pick from all the things that are going to grow which ones are going to perform the best with the least amount of disease and insect potential, um, the new breeding, and which ones are, are going to have the best flavor, and, and so on. So that you, as you get good at it, you become more discerning and, and uh, look for those different things. But I, but I see that as a general trend. We're just so fortunate to be in a situation in, in our industry uh, and uh, with me being able to do CBC, uh, communicate with people for, for so many years and all the other radio programs as well, um, to, to listen to people's issues. To, you know, they, they come to you and, and say, okay, but uh, there's a general consensus right now of, um, you know, this whole issue of make it, letting your lawns go brown in the summertime is so silly. It really is. Yes, we have to conserve water, but we have to have better soils so the lawns we have can retain moisture longer and survive better. We have to have a watering regime uh, that uh, will just keep them on the edge without wasting water. And uh, the other thing is we need to do better grass seeds um, that are more drought tolerant and don't grow as much and so on because lawns now sequester carbon they produce enough oxygen in a very small area to keep uh, people alive. Um, they uh, provide uh, a home for a wealth of microorganisms in the soil and animals in the soil and worms in the soil uh, to stay alive. They, they create an infrastructure that, that we're saying lawns are bad. They're putting freaking carpet down right now everywhere instead of lawns. Right. The worst thing for the environment yeah. and to being able to do that. So, you know, it, it, what's happening right now, is, and it's the older folks who do it, the younger folks, I'm sorry, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's not understanding the full implications of everything we have in nature. Yeah. And, and being a good steward uh, is, is, is being um, a good person. And, and yes, we, we know the benefits now of working with plants, the personal benefits. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I think we still have not made that connection between, you know, this is what it takes to grow a good plant, uh, what it takes, to, you know, is that the same apply to me in terms of, you know, which, which it really does. I've never heard that before, quite frankly. So, yeah, um, yeah learning, learning from the plants you grow. Yeah, good thing. Right. So can you tell us about how people should get started? Because one of, I guess, my frustrations is seeing the landscaping that maybe the city of Chilliwack or the province of BC does, but I never feel like it's connected to 
this is how we also take care of our environment. Like the idea that we would have trees that are particularly beneficial for producing oxygen near our freeway seems like, I don't know, to me, an obvious next step. Am I missing something in this kind of conversation of like, on our freeway, we have this like spot of greenery. To me, we should want to put things there that would help neutralize the carbon coming out of the cars. Am I, am I out no, to lunch? You're, you're not, but uh, there's a whole, and, and I need to understand more about this. Uh, and I have the privilege of talking to, um, they're asking me again next February again, I speak to them on a regular basis, BC parks and recreation people right. uh, in terms of uh, and, and environmental plantings. And that's exactly the topic I want to talk about next year. Uh, last year, I, I talked to them about, you know, you think you're in the, the green industry and, and the, the providing, you know, trade and shade and maintaining. You're not. You're in the healthcare industry. Please understand that first. Because um, what you do, and, and the, the nature of urban forestry is to understand um, the, the balance between the, the carbon that we're creating and the carbon that we're sequestering, sequestering, how to be able to create that balance. Their bigger job is to convince uh, the citizens that what they're doing is a good thing. They want to cut down trees and, and uh, you know, constantly and, and not respect trees and so on and let them die. Um, you know, that's, that's the balance, the people balance in, in their job. But uh, urban forestry now, they, they, they're getting it very, very good in terms of the amount of the percentage of, uh, of cover that needs to be in each community. Uh, to, to, you know, prevent excessive sunlight, uh, you know, hitting people in, in the ground, uh, and the, um, production of, uh, of oxygen and the sequestering carbon, creating that balance. And the interesting thing is, um, yeah, it's, it's new territory, but the climate is changing dramatically. The trees that we have today are not suited to the conditions that are going to be here in the future. Yeah. So when I interviewed some of the great people, that's the one thing about being a writer for the sun, they get to interview great people. Um, they had a conference, screen conference in Vancouver, and I asked some of the people from around the world, okay, what, what type tree should be using? And uh, one of the, the brilliant guys from Britain said, we don't have those trees yet. We're out, believe it or not, all over the world, uh, going to some of the harshest climates, uh, like Afghanistan and, and areas around there just brutal climate with no uh you know substantial rain or, or or whatever but tough growing conditions we're taking the trees from those taking the the genetics from those trees and and building them in new trees so we have trees that will to tolerate the the conditions that we're going in the future so coming back to your question yes it, it's it, it, everything is so complex today there's no simplistic answer um you know uh, planting trees on the freeway at least there's we have grass on the freeway that's one thing don't don't discount the power of grass but being able to um uh, uh you know understanding what urban forestry really is and how they're getting better and better at finding the right plants to be able to put in the right conditions um, and um, to be able to um, provide uh, that balance or sequester as much carbon as we possibly can. Right. So that's a, that's a, that's a great art that we have to learn. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's coming. We're, we're, we're getting there. Brilliant. So could we walk through perhaps um, the different levels? Because I live in an apartment, but maybe let's start with a house. What should someone consider if they're saying, I'm not gardening just for my own benefit, but obviously I'll get benefits out of it. But what should I put into my home, uh, perhaps my lawn, perhaps inside my home that will help the environment, that will help uh, make sure that I sustain life here, that I'm not causing harm? 
Yeah. Um, several things. There, there's been an interesting study from the Colorado State University in terms of the value of landscapes in the environment and the fact that we can't let them dry out. And look at how many trees are dead. Do you know the average tree in Vancouver has a lifespan of eight years? I did not know that. Absolutely. And uh, I checked it with my friends in Toronto and they said, yeah, that sounds about right. We're four years in Toronto. Um, and it's because it's creating the right conditions for plants to be able to to grow it is really the the thing and that you come back to the home garden right now is how many and and the landscape industry is as good as so many people are sometimes they're rushing too much to be able to stick a tree in and do it for the least possible price making a proper planting condition for a tree that do we dig a hole and shove it in but it's got clay below or or you know what the soils like in most apartments they just put the cheapest stuff in and yeah. plant in it is creating the right conditions for a plant to be able to have a long and successful life. Choosing the right trees, first of all, that not gonna not gonna have to be cut down or whatever. So making the right selection is, is probably a big thing and virtually that then doesn't happen. Um, planting them correctly so they will will continue because every tree and every plant contributes to to the environment and so on. And um, then there's the, the things like the um, you know uh, the creating a balance out there. Uh, the big thing, and, and thank you to millennials right now, the big thing is being able to have plants from early in the year, no matter where you live, till late in the year, that have flowers that produce both nectar and pollen for all the pollinating insects. Right. That's become a huge thing. Uh, and at the beginning of millennials starting out, they would come and see, we put all these pollinators together. The bees are all over them. They say, God, that's what I want to have forget the plant. I want the bees, right? <laughs> because that's important to them. And so now we're making the connection of pollinators. And then when you look at lawn, uh, at least our two cycle engines for mowing lawns, not good, right? We, we need to overcome that. And we are overcoming that. But putting microclovers into lawns, because microclovers work and build um, natural nitrogen in the soil. So a lawn will become self-sufficient instead of having to, to give it nutrient all the time. And, uh, and also, if you microclovers will flower, pro pro producing um, uh, pollen for our insects and so on. So there's so many things like that that we're discovering right now. Oof, I'm not going to put clover in my lawn. I want chemicals to get clover out of my lawn. No, no. You, you, just, you have to learn uh, the new techniques. How do you attract pollinators? How, you know, digging a, a small little pocket of water uh, that, uh, that all the frogs are missing our frogs right now uh, that uh, can, you know, survive. And, and the, the, a new, uh, creating a habitat is what we want to do. So it's not about us anymore. It hasn't been about us ever, but uh, it, it's creating this, this new vision of what a green space is to below the ground and above ground to be a new habitat. And I'll tell you something else that is important. There's the, a few years ago, there was a great concern in North America uh, about the loss of pollinators. And many groups went to President Obama and said, look, we need help with this. And he said, for goodness sakes, he had the wisdom to say, don't ask the government, you know, go and do it yourselves. So many associations across North America got together, and uh, they, including Canada and Mexico, uh, they formed a goal of one million pollinator gardens. Uh, to be able to develop within uh, three years. And um, so we watch very carefully, and that's specified, has to be year-round, has to have uh, so many pollinator plants, has to have all the water for, for habitat and so on. And uh, that goal was exceeded, mostly in America, but in Canada, 
and in Mexico as well. Right. Uh, so one million pollinator credits, and that put five million acres. We're losing a million acres a year in North America to development. That put five million acres back into habitat. Wow. See, these are things that happen that nobody knows about. Yeah. And and so to answer you, that, does that answer your question in terms of what we need to do? Yes, and I think I'd like to also talk a little bit about um, since we're on the topic of fungi. And uh, as I've mentioned, I think just previously, I watched Fantastic Fun Fungi yeah, yeah. with. Um, I haven't seen that, but it's, uh, yes, I heard it's very good with uh, Paul Stamets, and he's he's a mycologist. He's very passionate about that, and he believes that. Um, fungi is one of the ways that we start to address the pollinators. Uh, he found one of the fungi actually helps with um, bees and one of their wings not working properly, that if bees ate this certain fungi, that that would help fix that issue. As well, he's been doing research, I think, in partnership with UBC here in BC of taking like four different plots of trees and giving them certain uh, fungi and has proven that this certain fungi helps trees grow. So I'm interested to know your thoughts on fungi and how that interacts with plants. You, you have to stand back and observe nature, first of all. None yeah. of us have time to do that. But yeah. uh, when people have problems, I'm saying, you know, you know the solution to this. You're just not thinking about it. Observing nature, how you prune a tree, how you care for a tree. The tree tells you what it needs. The plant tells you what it needs. You're not listening. And so I'm being, being, listening to that. And uh, so many people uh, uh, will come to me with uh, fungus all over the tree. And, um, and I'm, I'm saying, uh, in, in many cases, um, this is a natural thing. Don't get excited about it. It's not going to harm the tree. It's okay. In some cases, uh, it, it, not mycelia, but, but other ones like that. For the tree to survive and do well, use an organic control to be able to, you know, take it away, minimize it, so you know, the plant will be okay. In other cases, um, I'm saying that fungus is telling you that tree is dead. Because how many times do we go into a forest and see fungus on rotting wood? Yeah. Fungus um, takes care of, uh, in a very nice way, without creating a lot of carbon, of, of t t taking dying and dead materials. Because it's a natural life cycle in forests and yeah. everywhere that the fungus will actually start uh, uh, breaking down all those trees uh, into to organic rich material for other trees to grow. Yeah. And here's the big one that nobody has even cut on yet or, or heard about yet. It takes about, depending on the plastic, it's simplistic, 400 years for plastic to deteriorate. Um, a couple of Yale students or a few Yale students were in South America and made a discovery. And in The Hague in Holland, uh, another university professor made the same discovery. There was a fungus now, and I've just uh, left the, can't name the name, uh, that uh, it will take plastic underground in the absence of oxygen, in the absence of light, uh, and break it down in 30 to 40 days. Oh my gosh. This is a fungus. So do we depend on fungus in this world? Absolutely. Yeah. Do we even have a clue about how important it is? I mean, we love mushrooms, right? There's a fungus. Yeah. I mean, we eat it and so on. But we're clueless in terms of looking. And that's why, again, um, I, I love joking around, kidding around with uh, some of my First Nations uh, friends who are very much into native plants and what you eat and, and all our indigenous plants and so on. Um, you know, we, we kid around a lot. But uh, the fact is, 
we're missing their knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we need to expand and understand what that knowledge is. I don't disagree. And I think of uh, the BP oil spill. Uh, Paul Stamets was also involved in research there that showed that putting fungus where the spill was uh, in certain plots to test it showed that they could actually remove all of the oil from there yeah. as well. And so I do agree that I think we underestimate, first of all, nature and its ability to fix problems. Yeah. And we need to work collaboratively with it rather than doing the same approach, which is how do humans fix it all by ourselves? That's it's right. like it's a very small-minded perspective. Right. We need to do it in partnership with the environment. And I think that Indigenous people have always kind of known that and tried to work symbiotically That's with right. the environment to in order to support it. I'm also interested to know what should somebody in a small apartment do? What what are the, some of the smaller plants? I have aloe vera. Uh, what are some plants that you would recommend to somebody in an apartment that can't have the big trees uh, or the grass? What should they try and do? May I just jump back to, to sure. one of your last statements? Absolutely. Um, because we, we hate to, to leave the world in, in, in a spot where everything's going backwards. Um, there, there's a couple of things. Uh, in terms of uh, when I speak at a lot of park sports meetings across the country, uh, now the thing is re re recreating wetlands in new architecture and, and uh, design in terms of recreating wetlands, recreating what was there. Yeah. And the natural beauty of being able to do that in a, in a way that, that uh, people look at, but the, the where we have to get wildlife back and we have to get water life back and so on, uh, that's that's a huge movement that's happening right now. Right. Is uh, getting the, the the waterways back where we stole them, and that's happening in Florida right now in the Keys and in areas like that. The other thing is uh, little things are happening too in terms of. Um, there's a, a, a nice folks in Manitoba. I did an interview with the Vancouver Sun. They have developed uh, scientifically 15 different types of grasses that um, uh, we're taking our farmland and stripping it and, and so on and putting chemicals on to grow things. Um, they uh, are taking this new grass. It's uh, that it's ideal to sequester carbon, uh, ideal to regenerate the soil ideal to develop, uh, the roots develop, um, uh, the microorganisms in, in below, and uh, they uh, are, are now getting the younger farmers, not the old ones, uh, to plant their fields. It takes two years, yeah. and their goal was to get that land back to where the buffalo roamed, yeah. and to get that, and they're being able to do that within two years. Now, there's parameters on that and, and so on, but they're getting people, they're sending me some seed, trying to get people to try it, leave your garden for two years. Uh, if you can do that, a spot of your garden to get back to its original um, habitat in terms of what you want to do. So I just want to say that uh, there, there, there are things out there happening that none of us know about um, that, um, that, that are there's some good things out there happening. Yeah. Uh, and um, I gave a speech at, uh, in Seattle at the Flower and Garden Show last year about, about a lot of these various things that are happening. And a lady with tears in her eyes kind of says, oh my gosh, you've given me hope. You know, you actually give me hope and there is hope out there. Yeah. We, we can't give up on everything. The other thing is coming back to your apartment. Um, you have to face the limitations of what you have in terms of light uh, for plants to grow. Going back to what I said about, you know, for a plant to be able to, to grow, uh, this is where discerning comes in. And this is where uh, so many of the, the young ladies in particular get it. Uh, they're looking, they're, they're searching the world for new and different plants. 
They're pushing all the buttons on our industry, trying to get stuff that we've never heard of before or whatever. Uh, they've discovered it somewhere, get it into production uh, so we can get it or get it in their homes. And there's a lot of them. And uh, in doing so, now they're coming up with plants that are really tolerant of low light and poor growing conditions that will actually learn to, to thrive and do better. So number one, I think it's learning the best plants for your environment to be able to, to grow and, and create those conditions. You can do them in, in, in a very condition, but we have to add, especially in winter, we have to add indoor lighting. And uh, so it doesn't, it just have to get your foot candles up in terms of light. Um, that's number one. And understanding that, yeah, uh, if you look at office buildings with massive plants and no windows, um, they're doing very, very well. Plant maintenance people are, are getting it. So it's learning the art of getting your light up, keeping your temperatures in the realm uh, where a plant is 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 happy and, and going to thrive in that situation. And this learning the, the art of care. But first of all, it's finding the right plants. And uh, we need more people in our industry who are skilled at being able to do that. And quite frankly, they're, they're learning a lot of this on their own. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's an exciting time for that. But it's getting better for folks. And, and but the other thing I'm, I'm advocating too is, if you have a balcony, get a tree on that balcony. Right. And uh, because uh, not only for privacy, uh, but for for uh, greening, uh, birds, uh, birds and insects will come to that tree, depending on what you have. And it, there's nothing wrong with having a pollinator on the 15th floor of an apartment building. There's right. nothing wrong with that. We're just not thinking like that. Well, I will definitely let my strata know that this information is coming from you. I think that there are, again, a lot of beautiful parallels to what you're saying about first temperature, because uh, I listened to a neuroscientist called Andrew Huberman, and he has a podcast, and he talks about how, um, and Matt Walker, who's also a neuroscientist and really into sleep, and he talks about how right before we go to bed, we need to cool the temperature down. Uh, there's a reason both our feet and our hands are used for um, heat regulation and so cooling down the temperature that's why having a hot shower right before bed then you have a huge heat dump that's why it's so easy to go to bed after a bath or having a shower so temperature regulation in regards to plants and humans again there's those parallels yes and then uh, the other part you mentioned was light and Andrew Huberman talks about how to keep your circadian rhythms on track and to make sure that your mind is op operating optimally you want to get that sun sunlight right in the morning time um, and be outside. It's not fluorescent lights. You need to be outside absorbing that. Even in clouds, you can still get that quality light. Yeah. And then before bed, watching the sunset will also help with going to sleep. Yeah. Um, it's a natural circadian rhythm yeah. that helps you go to sleep. So I think that it's important that people not only look at the plant and see this is the relationship I have and this is what it needs, but this is what I need as a person because humans and plants are far less we're, we're not as different as I think we think we are. And so being able to use these tools and build not only the plant up, but ourselves up, um, it's like a reciprocal symbiotic relationship that we can have. Okay. And so there's some, there's a comment you made earlier that when you, you can see a plant and kind of know what's going on. And I think that that is something that's missing from our society in terms of human relations. And I'm interested in your thoughts on that because I think you have a very keen eye for plants and I'm sure that that translates over to an ability to relate with people. And I think one thing that I see a lot of is 
ah, like, I don't want to ask that. I don't want to get personal with that person. Like finances right now, it feels like people are so ashamed to talk about it. The average Canadian is really in debt. They're not doing well financially. Um, We're not talking about these issues. Mental health is an issue. Again, we're not talking about it with our family. We say mental health is an issue, but we don't go sit down with our family members and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And I need, I need you guys' advice. I need your support. I need your love and affection. Um, I know so many people who have problems, but they don't tell their parents about it. They don't tell their aunts and uncles or cousins anybody about it and yet i can see not even being close with them yeah you have car payments you have insurance you have rent you have all like that cannot be stress-free living and yet you're not talking about it so i'm interested in your thoughts on how we can kind of translate this relationship with clients to people and how maybe you do that because you have this deep relationship with the community and many people know who you are and you seem to have this great relationship with the people who come into your store how do you approach this are you able to kind of see people and and kind of see this person might not be having a good day and how do you approach those things you know that's uh, uh yeah we're the trouble is we're, we're all living very busy lives yeah. and um in a, in a quieter space, in a quieter time, time, we would be able to understand those things. We're moving too quickly, uh, and we're too interconnected, and there's social media uh, that um, is not kind um, uh, to people and so on. So we, we, first of all, we live in an environment where it's um, uh, we're under a, a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. Um, that, that's, that's, uh, that's the reality in which we get up every morning and do. And, um, the, uh, having, uh, space and having time, uh, to maybe think, uh, about where we are. We're, we're so busy, you know, doing, we're not having the time to back off and maybe consider all these things. When you have a spot, um, you know, at home, a little bit of green space and so on. Uh, that gives, can create that little bit of sanctuary where your mind is off of the things. And we're, we're so focused on so many stressful things. Uh, first of all, dealing with plants uh, takes a lot of that away. They're non-judgmental. Um, they need your care and attention to be able to survive. And, and that's the beginning of that relationship uh, for, for, for so many people in, in so many different ways, particularly for millennials right now. But uh, in terms of, of people, um, you know, Aaron, the, the, the one thing that people all the time say to me, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just here. People, business people come in at lunchtime and uh, they just take a walk through. They're not buying anything. They just come here to um, experience the beauty and the quiet and uh, the smell of a a particular flower or just a walk through. Um, The seniors' homes bring their people here to to come and uh, go through uh, the place. And and there's no hurry. Nobody's pushing anybody. Um, They have an ability to to be able to uh, just start, um, you know, unwinding. So I I think our our place in particular, we've we've always built the place. And when I talk to other, you know, at associations and garden stores around the world, your only job is to create a wonderful experience for people. That's your only job. And inspire them at the same time by having neat things that maybe want to take home and, you know, recreate around their environment. That's that's our job is to be able to have a place where people feel comfortable, non-stressed, 
nobody's uh, you know on them about buying anything it's just a question of of um, having this one of a place so and you can see that I, I got a very nice uh, call out on on CBC they're asking um, you know people who you know um, uh, have a great relationship here uh, who's done an act of kindness to you and, and a lady said to me uh, said the, the producer phoned me and said Brian you got your name in the air again you idiot uh, she said um, that lady said you're she lost her her um, uh, parent or, or 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 somebody very close to them and um you know she was dealing with you and, and uh, you you know came around the counter gave her a hug and uh, you know that type of momentary just just saying you know i care about you that's that's what that's what it takes can you tell us about how you hire people to work here how do you approach that because um, I'm sure it takes a certain person with a certain level of experience, but it also, to your point, you create an environment here where people don't feel rushed. How do you go about making those decisions, or how have you previously gone about making those decisions? Well, that, that's where people come in as our, our customers, uh, come in to, to have this experience. It's our job to do that. Uh, being uh, working here, or in most, uh, you're under incredible stress. Because uh, the seasonality of what we're doing, uh, in other words, uh, there's so much that has happened in a very short period of time. There's a long preparation period, and then everything just it just goes absolutely insane uh, in terms of doing that. Uh, we have a very stressful environment for in which people would work, um, simply because uh, we have to, to serve their their needs. We have to be on top of things. We have to have the place looking good, uh, keeping a place. Uh, in an experienced place, it's just the irony is we have to work incredibly hard. Is the floor clean? Is the place safe for people? Are there any slip and fall things? Uh, do we have the right product on the shelf? And uh, many people are very demanding. I want this and I want this and I want this and so on. Uh, so uh, we have to to find people and, and I'm, I'm hard on our, our staff. I'm hard on myself, very hard on myself because I need to be better tomorrow than I was today and I need to learn more. And uh, so uh, the people who have who understand that we have a great relationship. We have people here have been forty five years here, uh, but but I learned from them, and they're 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 pushers. They they, they we got to get this done, and I want to create this and so on. Uh, so um, how do we find people like that? It's 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 basically um, most of the people come to us. We very seldom advertise that people come here. We just had a, a lady who had been in a different profession for quite some time, for 10 years, and said, I just want to work here. And uh, right now, it's, it's hard, as you well know, to find qualified people for everything. So if my daughter, Erin, is the HR person. This is the question she would be able to answer, not yeah. me. Uh, but, uh, but, it's, but essentially, we're in a, we work in a, in a very stressful environment here. Because yeah. the season, uh, you know, we have to jump the seasons right now. We have to completely take down summer and completely have fall. We have to have Christmas right on its heels. We have to have, you know, Thanksgiving out there. It, it, it is very, very stressful. And uh, the, the being able to grow plants, every day there's new problems and new issues. How, how you talk about growing one, we, we grow millions of plants. Yeah. 
and we're a small, we're, we're tiny here compared to some of the 50 acre folks around us here. Um, it, it's it, 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 to be able to look at these mums. I mean, it could be great one day. Uh, what are the roots like? Are they growing well? Are they going to finish on time? Are they are they insect free when they go to our neighbors? Are we trying to be uh, using non-nicotinoids so that uh, are the pollinators when they open won't be harmed and, and so on like that? It is incredibly stressful to be a grower. And, uh, and and to, to to serve people today, a lot of them are very demanding, and uh, and so on as well. So, uh, the irony of being able to create a place for people to come, the challenge of being able to get that up to speed and have high quality is is just really really tough. Right. All of us face it. We're blessed to have people right. who uh, are here who who get that and understand that. I'm hoping you can elaborate a little bit more on some of the struggles because I think that likely people underestimate because every time I've come in, you're right, it looks great, it looks welcoming, it looks comfortable. And so what are some of those struggles that you all face in delivering that? Because I think for so many, we underestimate it because we see everything set up so nicely. We don't understand pushing somebody out of the mud and doing all that behind the scenes work. And I think that that we need more humility in our communities right now, a more humble approach to understanding the work that goes behind the scenes. Um, so first, could you tell us about some of those demanding customers so that people understand what you're up against? You're working behind the scenes all day long, putting things together. Then you go out and you see a customer. Can you tell us that frustrating customer, not, not to insult, but to kind of shine a light on what you're dealing with? Because I'm sure to most people you come across as this very friendly, very calm, very thoughtful person, and you're under immense amounts of stress. And the way you handle that, I think, is a, is a testament to your character and to the family supports that you have. But I think shining a light on that is important for people to be able to go, okay, this is the impact it has, even though I get treated well, even when I'm rude, even when I'm disrespectful, this is the pressure that that person is under. Yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm far from perfect. It's it just, you know, and you're right. The more pressure you're under and you're a great pressure, the less tolerant you are of stuff that happens, right? Uh, but um, the thing is, first of all, I think they have to clarify that probably 80% of your customers are absolute jewels. They give you a lift. Uh, they say hi to you, good morning. Oh, I love this plant. Thank you for you know whatever like that. Eighty percent are great, um, and you have to understand that there. This comes back to Dale Carnegie, and understanding people. People are also under a great deal of stress. Uh, we have landscapers who come in uh, trying to get product for customers uh, who are very demanding in terms of uh, you know. I mean that's good. They understand it. They understand the game, but they're under pressure as well. And, uh, or, you know, quite frankly, you have to look at the Dale Carnegie again. How many people have perfect lives? Very few of them. Uh, they, they're under uh, stress and under pressure as well. Um, there are other people who are just brown thumbs who come in and, uh, you know, uh, buy plants and take them home and kill them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's more than, uh, to me, it's, it, it, our attitude should be really sorry. You had a problem with the plant. Let's see if we can get you something new, and maybe we need to give you a little more advice in terms of that. That should be a problem. But some of them are saying, "This stupid plant is no good. You sold me a bad plant after you worked your life to yeah. create it up there, and they, they killed it off. That hurts inside. So you know how you deal with situations is really how, how people there, and and a lot of people um, you know are are very good customers. But you know this is what I want. I want it now, and I want it one. You know uh, everything's changed today. It's an instant world. 
where uh, folks would, um, like wedding, we'd, we'd do our wedding uh, two weeks or a month or two years in advance, right? Now I'm getting married tomorrow, I want all this stuff right now, and assuming that it's all there. So it's for various reasons that people would be under stress and be very demanding. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you know, the, the thing is to, we're all trained in all the schools we go to and seminars we go to. When people are uh, uh, coming into a store with a problem, there's only one thing you do right off the bat is you shut up and you listen. You say, okay, what, what, how can I help you? What's, tell me what the problem is. And the fact that you fully focus on them and let them have a chance to, to vent or whatever like that, that's, that's certain number one. And then you should, should say, yeah, okay, thank you for sharing that with me. Let's see what we can do to get your problem solved here. And uh, so that's the ideal situation in terms of doing that. But um, so, but so you get the, the broad mix of things. But keep in mind that 80% are, are just dream people to work with. It's a pleasure. And other people, they're like that, not because of who they are. It's because of circumstances in their life, circumstances and situations. So you have to cut them some slack in, in terms of that as well. Yeah. But in spite of that, it's our job to, you know, perform and, and whatever. And, and today we live in an insta world. You know, why don't you have 20 flats of this particular plant? Uh, what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> you know, no, it's okay, Tessie, Tessie. Um, so it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's understanding the dynamics of, of what people are and then translating that to all the people who wait on them. And um, so fortunately, we're, we, one of the first questions that Aaron asks people is, okay, how do you deal with the situation? When a customer's upset, how do you deal with that situation? Yeah. And that's, that's one of the most important things. So we at least, you know, acknowledge uh, the problem. And, and, uh, and you know, um, sometimes in Dale Carnegie, uh, you're, you're, it's a no-win situation. It, it just sometimes, I just can't solve that problem, right? <laughs> so, but, but it, it's uh, having people working with you as a team who, as a whole, uh, do a, uh, try and do a very good job of, and we're serving people is what we're doing. We're servants to to their needs in terms of what they want, and trying to help them achieve things. Yeah. And uh, in most cases, that works really well. Uh, some cases, for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. But it's that's life. That's learning to be able to to deal with that. Yeah. If you get most of the people uh, happy and looked after, um, you know that's great. Uh, the other thing in today's world is uh, if you offend people or, or upset them, or we, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong, um, you're on social media yeah. as, as being the bad guy. Yeah. You know, so that's that's the reality. Yeah. That is really unfortunate, and I think that hopefully listeners can move forward in a better direction knowing this information and knowing what you're up against and what your staff's up against to transition. Can you tell us just about the seasons uh, that you go through here? That When should people start getting ready to get their Christmas trees? When? How do you, how do you handle all of that? Uh, what do those seasons look like? Um, having enough lead time is the thing the, the the plant world is turned upside down and the and the pandemic right now uh, first of all if you, you you the chances of getting all your product uh, are, are not very good uh, the most important thing that you hopefully have developed over the years is relationships good relationships with your suppliers in other words trust when things got tough in the industry you still took your order even though you know you wouldn't sell it all um, and, uh, you know, when they have access, trying to help them out, uh, when they're short, uh, they'll always try and help you first or give you most of what your order is. 
It's, it's relationships with your suppliers. And that's all over the world, no matter what they're producing. It's, it's, everything is built on relationships. And uh, so, uh, like, for example, there's a huge shortage of roses for next year. And uh, both our suppliers uh, said, we're going to get as much as we can for you. Don't worry. And in this case, we, you can't choose anymore. We're going to choose for you because it just, it's just not possible. Uh, and, um, but she said, if anybody wants to order roses, a new customer, we can't accept orders because that's, that's, that's the honorable way of dealing, uh, behind in, in business. So those, those are some of the things that we're all facing right now is, uh, extreme shortages. The other problem right now is because of the pandemic. And, uh, and incidentally, it's still going on in countries in Asia and China. China's, you never hear about it, but our factories that we depend on in Asia are shut down right now because of the pandemic over there is coming back. Right. And we don't know that, except then they, they notify us, you're not going to get your product. Yeah. Um, and so on. So it, it's, it's a, it's a balanced world and, and, you know, just having enough, um, of good product. And this is why we always learn to grow our own product. Yeah. Because A, we can get new and unique things first, uh, or when we know there's a shortage of things, we'll try and grow up there. So it's a combination of, of being able to put things together, but everything is based on relationships. Right. Yeah. That is, that is so beautiful. And I, th I think that that really helps to put this into perspective. Can you tell us about what it's like to help people turn their houses into homes? Because, uh, growing up, uh, we didn't have, in, in my own apartment, we didn't really have Christmas trees, uh, plants, stuff like that. Um, but I really like at your entrance, you have clothing, uh, you have things to decorate your home, things to make it more of a home. And I'm just interested in that aspect. Uh, the plants are obviously incredibly helpful and the main part of the business. But I'm also interested to know in helping people turn their house, not just into like an apartment, but into a home. What has that been like and um, what? how do you choose your products? Because to me, when I see them, I go, this is so unique. This is so fun. This is so, it's again, it's that culture where when you see that in somebody's house, you go, oh, that looks so cool. How did how did all of that come about? I think over years, and this is where um, Lisa in particular has played such an important role. She's, she's very much, we're part of the Canadian Garden Centre group, GCGC. Um, Lisa is uh, the main player in that. Uh, we work together as Canadian garden centers. There's other groups as well, but this is the one we work with. Uh, we help each other and uh, we learn uh, from, from each other in terms of, you know, who, who, where are the strengths and, and uh, where we're going to go here. Uh, but the, the idea is, and, and Lisa developed this, we're really uh, not a plant store. We're really a lifestyle store. And uh, it, it's more about uh, what uh, we can provide uh, uh, to add value to your home uh, for the things we have. And um, it's so many different little things. Uh, Lisa would find uh, some Italian specialty foods that are just right right up there in terms of the Millennia generation. So she brings in a few of those. We don't have huge, but, but just enough to like, oh my gosh, this is here. Um, because we've lost some of the stationary stores, we're, you know, we're losing a lot of our wonderful small businesses to, to big box stores. They don't carry uh, a lot of things. So getting into stationary, so you've got a, a special occasion. Uh, we have, uh, nobody says happy birthday anymore. You need the crazy card that, that's a little bit off, the, a little edgy and stuff like that. So uh, we would have those. 
Um, one of my favorites uh, is uh, some of the signs we have to put up in your home. You know, the, the wine drinker, well, it's four o'clock somewhere, you know, <laughs> just, you know, or on the, uh, on the, um, the, the mats and put in front of the door, it'll say, go away. <laughs> or, or it'll say, nice underwear. You know? <laughs> so it, it's, uh, you know, uh, do you make people laugh? Absolutely you do. And uh, it's it's a fun thing. People just like to look and poke. And we hired a, a very special design person uh, who comes in and rearranges things or, and arranges them in such a way that people um, want to have that. We have very talented people who take the plants and arrange them in certain ways. So it, it shows people what you can do. Wow. Uh, so it, it's all about how, how can we cut your life in some way uh, that makes it uh, that makes it fun. You have a bit, a bit of a kick out of this. And, and uh, for people from all walks of life. Uh, and it's nice to see the diversity uh, that we're proud of the diversity we're getting in terms of the cultural um, uh, folks who, who come here. And, um, and, and it grows uh, over the years in, in terms of, you know, uh, we have um, quite a following of the Iranian community in Vancouver uh, because we carry special varieties of, of mulberries. They had it back home or, yeah. or certain fruits and so on. And, um, you know, the, the Asian community, for example, uh, they love certain types of fruits like uh, the jujubes and, and uh, some of the, um, you know, very unique uh, varieties of, of Asian pears and, and so on that they, they're used to and they love. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's just looking at, at the, the folks who would want to shop here and what do we have that would make you special. Yeah. And uh, a third, third of our customers come out of Vancouver wow. or the Vancouver area. Uh, because we were a destination, we would go back to that destination is what we wanted to be, and uh, we have enough thing to create to and having the new things, always being on top of what's new in the world and being able to get it uh, and out there for so you know we, it's, it's a fun place. So we have the Andusen Gardens uh, there and UBC Gardeners, um, the volunteers come out here to find the cool new stuff and and uh, so that's the that that's the beauty of it. So we're appealing. A little bit to everybody, trying to make it a, a, a fun place to, to, to come and shop. That's brilliant. And it kind of leads into uh, your relationship with Tourism Chilliwack. Uh, I'm interested to know how that relationship came about and the difference that makes for our community. Because I heard the Start of Grind discussion you had with Tim McAlpine. And uh, he talked about how this is one of the main tourist kind of attractions for a very, very long time and still is. Um, what has that been like to build something that, that brings in people all the way from Vancouver? Well, it, it's, um, first of all, uh, we, 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 I do have um, a little advantage, and that is uh, on CBC for like 35 years right now. I'm the old guy. I'm the, I'm the elder at, at CBC. And being asked to go to do communities uh, up in Fort St. John or Fort St. James or wherever you go, uh, well, having that relationship with people, we, you, that trusting relationship, if you don't know something, you say, you don't, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out for you. Or just, just telling the hard truth. I'm sorry, Sally, that's just not going to work. You don't, don't do that anymore. You got to go this way. So building that relationship with the, the broader CBC community has, is very, very good. Uh, we talk about New Vancouver as well, Victoria. Uh, people come over here, Bowen Island, they come over here and find things. Um, so you have that, that trusted relationship. And um, when I go to small communities, uh, you know, um, they, they, I get off the plane, they pick me up and, hey, we got to show you this, Brian. So you learn, get to learn about the people. And the people up north are freaking amazing. 
they are so uh, self-sufficient, uh, uh, thinking, unique individuals. Uh, they're there because they want to be there. And uh, I'm just like in awe when I, I, but you get that all over the province. And, and, and uh, so having to that translate it into the store, uh, they, when they're driving from Kamloops to Vancouver, everybody goes to Vancouver, you know, for whatever reasons. And they stop in here. And, uh, and and vice versa. I'm going up to the interior to my uh, cabin up there. Uh, they stop in here and pick up a few plants and so on like that. So you've built that interrelationship with with people, that trusting relationship. And uh, so in terms of tourism, isn't that what it's about? Yeah. Is it's it's just providing the experience for people. But with tourism, um, we 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 we're, we're in a very unfortunate situation right now. We've lost Best Western. Uh, we, um, uh, in terms of an accommodation for people, we are, we are way low on our accommodation. The value of tourism is having people come into your area for a particular experience, whether it be Mikey, mountain biking, uh, fishing, um, you, you know, uh, hiking, uh, you know, visiting friends is certainly number one. And uh, when they go into local businesses like restaurants and so on, uh, helping the businesses survive in, in, in those situations. That's what tourism is about, right. is bringing people in uh, to A, give them a, a, a wonderful experience, but, but B, um, spending their time in their, in, their, in, in our businesses and you know, helping our businesses as well. So it's it's a win-win. And uh, many years back, I was on the Provincial Tourism Board, is, um, you know, uh, tourism uh, will be the, the single biggest industry in the world. And um, it, in it, it has. The pandemic is just, what is the number one business that's been hurt? It, it, it's tourism worldwide. Yeah. Everything to do with tourism. Butchart Gardens, uh, who I, I love those people there. They're amazing. Uh, talking to them, they were 95% down in sales. How can you survive in, wow. in terms of that? So it, tourism has always been on the edge. There's no question about that. But um, in terms of uh, the, the value of tourism, it's it's understanding the obstacles. And and uh, the beauty of working with First Nations right now, uh, when they get, come into our lakes and rivers and hiking, uh, we're now going to be asking them to respect the land yeah. and respect the plants and respect everything here. It's, it's a level of respect. Uh, they're teaching us that we have to translate to our visitors. Uh, and I think they will gain and grow from that as well. But um, so it's, it's, and it's not about spending money about having people come here. We use social media to do that in various ways uh, today. But it, it's about helping businesses who are here bring in more people. And, and businesses of all diverse things. You know, the, uh, the um, various farming communities, the, the farm direct, bringing them in to experience the small uh, farms and, and all the produce they have to offer and, and uh, experiences like that. So it's, it's very diverse in what we have to do. Our job is to capture uh, the, the, the segments of population because the population today is tribes, tribes of people who have similar likes. Uh, maybe they're, they're mountain bikers. Uh, maybe they're hikers. Maybe the people just like to go for a drive or, or that type of thing. So understanding what the, the tribes are that were out there and trying to appeal to those and, and try to make our community more friendly. So in other words, we work with our, our uh, folks here to have them understand what's important about their business. And I never learned more about that when we hosted the first time ever it was the Garden Right of America. Uh, hosted um, uh, the, the Americans to British Columbia to Vancouver for the very first time in their lives. I made a presentation in New York about coming, and, and the the American knowledge of I mean, a lady from New York said, "Oh, can I just drive there?" And and uh, 
<laughs> this is what we're working with, right? Um, it was the most successful uh, convention or, or symposium they've ever had. Uh, and uh, because um, I went to um, Tourism BC and said, this is, this is what's going to happen. These are writers. And they said, we got it. Yeah, it was so interesting. Brian, we're, we're going to look after you. And what they did was uh, gave me a young man who was a brilliant in terms of handling uh, groups and buses. He said, Brian, what's our itinerary? And if you had to approve, uh, the garden writers had to approve everything that was going to happen in times and, and so on like that. And he taught me so much. He's, we're going to every place you and I are going to drive. And we would say to them, oh, so what are we offering here? And yeah, okay, good. So what else do you do? And, uh, you know, so when people <laughs> went to a lavender farm, when you got off the bus, uh, they uh, offered a lavender ice cream, a little ice cream oh, cone. Wow. And um, they, you know, had, uh, you know, lavender sachets and gifts. And, and they were really uh, exposed to the diversity of what that was. He brought every place that we went to, uh, to that next level by asking the owners of the company, um, what can you do more to, to help our guests come here for this experience? Yeah. And uh, so in terms of tourism, yeah, I've never forgotten that. And the, uh, the one thing, too, was it was very interesting. On the last day, I said, uh, you've got to be totally uh, relieved right now that, you know, we, everything we've done for the past four or five days. He said, no, Brian, this is the very worst time. He said, because they're exhausted, they're tired, and they're not thinking. And he said, and sure enough, you know, we're out there at uh, Granville Island Park. And they're just walking everywhere. Cars are just about hit them and so on like that. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, he just taught me everything. You know, they hide them the, when the buses come in. You hide them in a certain spot. They had to pick that spot. So when they're ready to go, they're right there to get people out. Because often, you know, I've been in places where the buses can't get in a delayed. It, it messes up the whole thing. <laughs> so I've been instilled in, in tourism of what that means. And I try and bring that back to our, our our area here, which is so very important. And we have an amazing crew. Allison Colthorpe, in particular, uh, is just a genius at, in terms of working with people and, and working with, uh, you know, our, our parks uh, folks and uh, regional districts and so on, looking at new trails and new opportunities. And now we have a resource of First Nations that we rely on. So, you know, th this is absolutely great. So in, in, in terms of what tourism is, it's much more than you think it is. It really is. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you share some of your favorite uh, places to visit, some of your favorite small businesses that you go to regularly? Well, believe it or not, Aaron, uh, I, I never shop. Right. I, 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 I don't have time. Yeah. I work seven days a week long. Of course, everybody's closed the time I, I get there. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, uh, it's... Um, uh, what I used to do is, uh, you know, phone businesses I know and say, I can't get there. Can you, can you do uh, something for me? Um, you, you know, I, I, I don't want to end, end it, uh, end it my individual. It's just people that you, you know and you trust and say, you know, uh, please, can I, um, you know, uh, can you set this aside for me? I'll be over later to be able to do that. Yep. Uh, that, that's, uh, you know, and uh, in terms of, uh, of a favorite place to be, I don't, I don't have time. Yeah, I, 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 I'm honest to goodness, yeah. But if you could put me anywhere, um, I used to run with a couple of doctors, and uh, um, they were amazing folks. Uh, so being up, uh, um, and I, I couldn't keep up with them because they were, you know, amazing. 
Uh, so running up Mount Cham and the dark uh, coming out one night, coming down in the dark, uh, that's my happy place. I love the, the hiking trails we have here are, are absolutely amazing. So, yeah, that's and and uh, you know on the national news, uh, you know the the fishing and and now we're being more sensitive to catch and release and doing that type yeah. of thing here. Um, people from all over the world come here. They have a very expensive. We have incredible uh, fishing uh, resorts here and guides that that, yeah. that are just second to none in the world. So, um, what's my favorite? My favorite is the people here who give up and sacrifice so much. Uh, you look at your your, your golfing places and, and the small businesses run here like that uh, to be able to to survive in the tough times, and they've all struggled, right. whether it be the rafting, toilet rafting, and and so on. We also in tourism have a very good board. Yeah. We have an outstanding board of, of people who um, volunteer their time to be part of uh, and sharing and, and expanding and learning, you know, that sort of thing. So, so our tourism here is much more than, than you would think it is. And I have to say that City Council has been great. We work for the City of Chilliwack, yeah. and uh, we look after Heritage Park uh, as well. And uh, but there, it's uh, it's the city has been very gracious and very kind in working with us and helping us, and uh, we push their buttons. I'm sure all the time, but um, they, they've been great because they they get the economic value of tourism in this area. Yeah. Okay. So, can you tell us how listeners can maybe help support Minter Gardens? What what are the things that they can do? Um, perhaps buying a plant, but like, what are those really meaningful ways that they can show their support? Those really passionate listeners who've gotten so much out of this interview, what can they do to show their support for, for the work you've done? You've been sacrificing your whole life to bring this to the community. What can the community bring back to the store and to, to your business? Um, that's a very kind comment. And uh, I would put that exactly in the opposite. It's not what they can do for us. It's what we can do for them. The best thing you can do for us is tell us how we can improve your experience. Let us know all the time because uh, we're serving you. And uh, it's our job to be better tomorrow than we were today. And uh, and so many people say, Brian, I wish you'd carry this or why don't you carry that or this type of thing. Do you have these new plants? They're always pushing uh, our buttons in terms of getting something new and different that isn't even Canada yet because they found it in the Internet. Uh, but that's good. That's really good because it's a now it's on my radar. Uh, if I'm, you know, shopping at various places in North America and we find it somewhere uh, now, because they're, they're helping us yeah. because if they're thinking like that, other people are thinking like that. So um, the, the one thing they do with us is keep pushing us to be better and how we can be better. And that's that's the, the, the only attitude that we can have here. Yeah. Wow. That is a very humble and thoughtful response. Can you tell people how they can connect on social media um, through like at Minter Gardens, I believe? Yeah, I, um, uh, it's, it's uh, mintergardening.com is, is where we are. And um, we, you know, I, I wish we could be uh, amazing people. We do the best we can in terms of getting out there. We're so hands-on in this company. Uh, dealing with the daily situation of uh, for whatever needs, if it's a, a school that needs something uh, for graduation, um, and uh, or help with uh, you know gardens or or um, you know uh, an organization needs something for a special event they're having, uh, we deal with that uh, every day, and we're very much hands on. So we're we we don't have a time the resources to to spend which we need to be. We that's one of our goals to be higher in social media. Uh, it's just basically we're we're here to help. Put it that way. Yeah, 
That is amazing. And I really appreciate you being willing to take the time this morning to share so much on how people should approach their family life, how to be a Canadian citizen, how to set that example, um, how to connect with their community, how to be a steward for the environment. I think that you, in almost all aspects of your life, set a really good example on how people should proceed. And as you've said, you're not perfect. Nobody is. But it's all about how you proceed facing adversity, how you proceed with new problems, and you're just your constant willingness to support the community, I think, sets such a strong example for others to remind themselves of the role they play in their community. Because you and your wife built this place, it's had impact on so many young people, on the community's ability to grow in tourism. It's had just so many multifaceted effects on individuals like myself that I think just not enough good words can be said about the impact you and your wife have made. That's a very, very kind, but I have to remind uh, everyone that we're just a small player in a great community. There's so many people who are doing so much that you never, ever hear about that uh, that make our community what it is, and uh, we all need to improve. And Erin, uh, it's not just Faye and I, it's our two daughters uh, and their families, and uh, you know, um, who have been in our, in our wonderful team uh, who, you know, change over the years and so on. But uh, without the, the, the team we have here, uh, we couldn't do any of this. They are, they are just, uh, you know, um, don't get enough recognition for, for what they do. They're absolutely amazing. So it's it's never about any, any of us. It's all about the people around us and, and uh, you know, in every walk of life here. And so yes. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, it's very, very kind. Um, and uh, we're just an ordinary Canadian, an ordinary Chilliwack citizens who just have a real passion and love for our community. Well, it's that's an amazing example. And again, I just appreciate you being willing to take this time and share such a phenomenal story. Okay. Thank awesome. you, Aaron. Thank you.